Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! No, I've not. I'm only kidding. Uh, he's funny, isn't he? Did you see what I did there? Did you, you get that? I did. Oh, was funny. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. Oh, it's just like an old pair of slippers. It, well, your comfy chair would do that and not like my little wooden <laughs> one. Well, our new setup wasn't built with, with a duo recording it, in mind. No, it was built on the palace funds. It was built on <laughs> yeah, those lucrative palace funds. Hey, I, this <laughs> the setup... The money's rolling in. This little setup was not here on Hey Kids Funds. I, I left... And then suddenly there's a, a desk and a, a new recording thing and a, a comfy little armchair. And... <laughs> this was called my working from home alcove. Yeah, I smell bullshit. <laughs> yes, it was made from the lucrative palace of glittering delights funds. You know how much money that brings in, dude. Oh, I'm rolling in it. Rolling in it. I'm like a pig in shit. Just rolling around. You're one of those things. <laughs> Start as you mean to go on, eh? Exactly. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hey Kids. Welcome back. Like, we've not done one for, what, a year? We haven't. Well, yeah. Not, yeah. When did we do the Man of Steel 10-year anniversary? Was that this recorded year? recorded two last Christmas, and that was one of them, yeah. Right, okay. So we, we haven't I've... done one for a year. So yeah. we're, like, we're like the only fools and horses of podcasts. They just wheel us out for the Christmas specials every year for the ratings. Yeah. BBC One will wibble all the money in front of us. They'll, they'll do a Prince Philip at some point. We'll, no! have di- we'll, we'll have died, but every year it's like our reanimated corpses. We'll be like Morecambe and Wise, still pumping out Christmas specials 20 years yeah, after we died. You know, like people read about these freak lightning storms over Wigan <laughs> around Christmas time, and then here we are again. <laughs> this is the Hey Kids Comics Christmas special from 1976. <laughs> And then it turns out that one of us did something, so they have to edit us out like yeah. Top of the Pops. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so many of our audience are not going to get these references. I can't wait for the Hey Kids documentary. <laughs> Just one of us in a smoky room and all like, went downhill after that. We should do one of those Family Guy spoof documentaries about <laughs> how we made out it was an amicable split. Of course. But really, <laughs> we got to the end and we, just, we were like John and John and... It'll be like, What's his name? Paul McCartney. We, we didn't want to be in the same room with each other. It'll be like one of those Netflix documentaries, there'll be a picture of us. <laughs> they were friends until... And then the photo goes black and white, negative. And then he discovered that... You discovered that I was siphling all the money off into other things and I wasn't seeing a penny of it. Exactly. <laughs> and then that's when the friction started. <laughs> it's all about money, dude. It is. Anyway... Hey Kids Comics is back. This is a weekly comics internet radio show <laughs> about comic books that we haven't done weekly for at least five years. <laughs> so now it's annual. It is. That's pretty much it. Yeah. It? It's annual. Have we been not doing it longer than we were doing it? No. Well, hmm. If we had our 10-year anniversary. We did our 10-year anniversary. anniversary last year. 
and we did it for five years solidly, and then we did five years worth of specials. Yeah, okay, right. And now we're just purely annual, because your working pattern's weird, man. My working pattern is, and also these last two years haven't helped. No, no. You would you think we'd have churned out more? You yeah. said before, but it's not like you could come home, is it? True. <laughs> Boris had us all locked in our little rooms. While he was having his little bevs with while, his mates. While he was having his parties. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Come pretend it's my house. And personally, I can't imagine having a drink with Boris Johnson, but here we are. I can imagine pouring a drink over Boris Johnson. Anyway, <laughs> let's not get too political. It's Christmas. We've got to get political. <laughs> we've got to fall out. Yes, we've got to have a massive fall out. <laughs> For those of you that pay attention, our annual specials are now basically just really easy episodes where we don't do any prep and we just talk about the geeky gift we received of our significant and others and our family members. And the previous year of what came out this oh, year? Oh yeah, what shit happened? Should we do all that first before we, we do should, the present? Yeah, yeah. Shit? All right. So for Marvel, this was a relatively good year, despite the pandemic. Being yes. off and on and off and on and off and on all year. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're primarily the television side mm-hmm. on Disney+. Plus. And I think we discussed I'd be quite happy for them to just do TV. Yeah, you'd be happy with them just doing TV, wouldn't you? So they launched with WandaVision. Which was great. Which was good. Yeah. Until I, it wasn't. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was great until it wasn't. It was all about Agatha. It, it was, yeah. It was then, Agatha all along. And then it was all about the multiverse just yeah. in the last episode. Oh, about, yeah, spoilers for the stuff we're going to talk about, which could range from anywhere to the Marvel TV shows to... James Bond films to Neon Genesis Evangelion, Evangelina <laughs> Lily. That's what it's called, right? If you... um, and any of that stuff. So if you're sensitive about that kind of thing, go and watch lots more stuff and then come back. <laughs> go watch things from 20 yeah, years back and then we're okay. From... <laughs> and then we'll be right. So One Division was fine until it wasn't. Yeah. And that was just a big prelude for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And then there and then was the Falcon. Falcon. Yeah. Which you. What did you think of that? I, I found it incredibly boring. Oh, yeah, okay. If it was just Bucky and Falcon do the Sopranos like it started <laughs> off as, I would have found it more interesting, but oh, okay. I, I didn't care for anyone. I thought the new Captain America wasn't a bad guy until they made him a bad guy. I just didn't know what it wanted to be. It just meandered a bit. The best episode was when they built a boat together. <laughs> And when you're making a superhero show, just, the best episode is building a boat. Extreme makeover, <laughs> Bucky and Winter Soldier, and the Falcon edition. Why, like, did, they that's... Not, why did they not just do Exactly. That? So, I, I thought it was a good two-hour film crammed into a six-hour bag. Mm-hmm. It could have done with some editing. Yeah. And it did seem like somewhere along the line, someone had said, wait a minute, we've made the Flag Smashers a little bit too sympathetic. Yeah. We've got to make them evil. Yeah. So we'll just have them shoot somebody for some reason. Yeah, and the Captain America, who wasn't a bad guy, but let's just have him murder someone. Kurt Russell's son. Yeah. I quite liked him. I quite liked him. Yeah, I thought he was good. He was the best thing about it. He was. Mm. Uh, and then we got, what did we get next? Loki. Oh, God, yeah. Ugh. Which I enjoyed. You did. I didn't like it, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. I liked the concepts. I thought the last episode was pretty good. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know why it takes six episodes to answer the question would it be sex or masturbation (laughs) (laughs) it's sad because it's true it it, it's probably one of my favorite owen wilson performances as well yeah owen wilson's good although every sentence sounds like it's from a different clip it's like have you not seen the trailers this is this is my first time in a marvel movie (laughs) 
So basically, he sounds like a speaking spell. He does. <laughs> okay. All right. See, I thought Loki was incredibly boring, but I watched it weekly. Right. And okay. And you watched it in one big marathon session. Yeah. My um. Oh, Florence Pugh is in Hawkeye now. I better catch up on yeah, all the so shit true. I've missed out on. Well, yeah, because also came out last year it was Black Widow, which is where Florence Pugh made her debut. Yeah. So prior to Hawkeye, Black Widow dropped. Uh, I enjoyed Black Widow purely on a level of it's just a straight up action Marvel movie and it's great and it's doubly great because it's not an origin. Yeah, well, that's next up on my to watch list. I enjoyed it. <clears throat> a lot of people were down on Black Widow. I've heard that it looks like it has the same budget as the TV shows, which doesn't translate well to a film. Well, they had to pay Scarjo and Oliver Loffies, didn't they? Well, rightly so, let's be honest. Like, <laughs> Disney being scum again. All the people giving her flack for suing them. Let's not forget that Disney were the scumbags who broke contract. And um, Allegedly, don't allegedly, sue me. Yeah, and have allegedly not paid many of their authors' money, which Alan Dean Foster's on a crusade against. Yeah. So let's not paint the big multi-million dollar conglomeration as the good guys. <laughs> so, yeah, I enjoyed Black Widow. And uh, it gave us Florence Pugh. Yeah, after Black Widow, The Eternals? Not seen it. I've not seen it, but... It's I said on... to you that the Eternals just kind of disappeared. Yeah, I, I think it was set up to fail just when it came out competing against Dune and COVID. And there was something else around the same time as Dune. No Time to Die. Yeah. So it was up against Bond and Dune. Yeah, which to me smells a bit like Marvel weren't confident with it, so let's just get it out in the wild. See, in a non-pandemic situation, Eternals would have done fine. Yeah, I think because the Marvel brand would have carried it over. Yeah, and it would have done okay in a pandemic situation where people are already a bit worried about what they're going to see at the cinema. They don't want to go watching a new IP. They yeah. want a blockbuster. Yeah, they want something comfortable and safe and entertaining. So you've got Bond on the one hand. Yeah, we've waited for Bond for literally two years, nearly. Yeah, because Bond was in the process of being released when everything went into first lockdown. It was yeah. what two weeks away from coming out. So everyone's been psyched up for Daniel Craig's last Bond film. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, you've got Dune by one of the most visionary filmmakers <laughs> of our time. Fans of other visionary filmmakers. And he's he's bigging up. He's bigging up that this is a an experience you need to see on the big screen. And lots of people are going, well, yeah, because it's Denis Villeneuve. I watched it from home. I watched it from home. I did want to go and see it at the cinema. Yeah. But as I point out, there was a little bit of worriness. I wanted to see Denis Villeneuve, but I didn't care enough about Dune, so I watched it at home. Did you like it? I liked the first half. I liked the first half more than the second half. So I, I, I liked... The thing that I struggled with the book getting into is I don't like how dense it is about the politics and the geography and the finances and the economy, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's very world building, but I enjoyed that more in the film. Because he did a good job with it. But then you get to the bit where, spoilers, everyone dies. And then it turns into this whole kind of, let's walk in the desert and I'm the chosen one. And I, I kind of lost it a bit there. See, I liked it all the way through, but I agree with you. The first hour is the best hour. Yeah. And I I genuinely did want to see it on the big screen. And I genuinely want to watch it again. Mm. before Because Dune Part 2 has been greenlit. Because so yes. this was a weird one, wasn't it? This wasn't a situation where they made a standalone film... Very successful, will green light sequels two and three, it which was happens a lot. Set up to be part one, yeah. but part two was not dependent on yeah. how part one did. Yeah. 
So there was a little bit of a question mark there, because like we say, people have not been going to cinema for a new IP, yeah. which essentially is what Dune is. To the majority of the people, Dune is the David Lynch film that David Lynch disowned, yeah, and a bunch of miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel, of varying quality. My yeah. understanding is some of them are very good. Mm-hmm. The one James McAvoy in is apparently quite good, okay, and some of them aren't. So like the books, in many yeah. ways. <laughs> See, I've tried to read Dune about four times. I've never been able to get past, like, chapter five. Yeah. I just find it such a hard slog to read that book. So I wasn't really that certain about the film. Yeah. But I think the film did a really good job of explaining everything and world building, like you say, in such a way that if you haven't read the book, it doesn't matter. Plus, I feel like if anyone can make a successful Dune blockbuster, it's the guy who made a good Blade Runner sequel. And the guy who made Arrival. Yeah. Proper visionary filmmaking. Um, Who's digging that hole over there? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not mentioning names, dude. If you're taking leaps, that's just on you. I'm not taking a leap. I'm merely taking a step and oh, look where I am. So, yeah, Arrival is brilliant. <coughs> yeah. I love Arrival. Top 10 science fiction movie of the past 20 years. I loved Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Because he made a sequel to one of the best movies ever made and it didn't suck. So for that alone, give him all the credit in the world. And then along comes Dune. So he's earned a lot of goodwill by that point. Mm. And he's done the stuff that he's done that isn't blockbuster cinema. Yeah. So fair play to him. So well done, Denis Villeneuve, for pulling off Dune. So yeah, so people aren't going to see The Eternals because on the one hand you've got Dune and on the other hand, my first present. (laughs) Hey! Hey! It's like we don't go away. (laughs) Which is a shiny Blu-ray copy of... James Bond 007, No Time to Die. And what, what what did we think about this? I loved 75% of it. Okay. Spoilers. I hate the ending. Now, I have only watched it once. Right. I haven't watched this lovely Blu-ray that mm-hmm. was purchased for me by your mother yet. And I am very much looking forward to it because from my point of view, and I'll listen to what you have to say in a minute. Okay. The first 75% of it is up there with Casino Royale and Skyfall. Okay. Which I consider to be the two best Daniel Craig films. Quantum of Solace is frivolous fun, but you really have to concentrate to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. Because of the writer's strike and the script not getting another pass. But Quantum gets a pass from me because A, it moves. Yeah. It's only 105 minutes long. So it's it's easily, the shortest of the lot. I think. Yeah, it's easily the shortest Daniel Craig. So it, it moves at a clip. Yeah. So even if you're just watching it for the fun, there's plenty of it. Yeah. Skyfall's great. Yeah. I love Skyfall. Uh, Spectre is brilliant for the first half. And I have a theory. Would you like to hear my theory? Oh, go on. All right. Every fourth movie by a Bond, be it Sean Connery, Roger Moore, or Daniel Craig, and Piers, because technically Piers did reach four, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Right? Always follows the same template. Right. The third one tends to be where they nail it. So for Connery, that was Goldfinger. Yeah. Generally regarded to be the best of the Bonds, not just the best of the Conneries. Yeah. All right. For Roger, that was The Spy Who Loved Me. Again, generally regarded to be his best movie as Bond. Okay. For Pierce, that was The World Is Not Enough. My theory falls apart a little bit, though. (laughs) Not going to lie. That is not the best Bond film. (laughs) In anyone's estimation, nor is it the best Brosnan. Okay. But go with me. <laughs> and then for for Daniel Craig, it was Skyfall, undeniably a high point. Yeah. Right? So in all three of those cases, they had three massive hits and the world is not enough. 
So when they come to do the fourth one, they're like, well, how can we top what we did last time, which was either massively creatively successful yeah. and or massively commercially successful, or in the case of Goldfinger and The Spy Who Loved Me, possibly not The World Is Not Enough, both. Right. So they get to Spectre. Yeah. So for Spectre, right, what I think happened was the last minute, all that legal finagling around Spectre and Blofeld goes away. Because the guy who owns the rights to Spectre and Blofeld passes away. Okay. All right? Kevin McClory. Yeah. Who co-wrote the script for Thunderball. Right. Which Ian Fleming turned into the novel. But because he co-wrote the script which came first, I believe, then he co-owned Blofeld and Spectre. Okay. Which is how, for years, they couldn't use them. Right. There is no Blofeld in Roger Moore, apart from the cameo where he drops him down a chimney. In for your eyes only, but they don't mention that it's Blofeld. Yeah. And there is no Spectre yeah. in any of the other films past Connery. And that's why he passes away. Mm-hmm. His family go, just give me the goddamn money. Yeah. The Bond people go, have all the money. Yeah. We now own Spectre and Blofeld. So that last minute And then change they work it into it. Changes the course of Daniel Craig's movies. Because now Spectre and Blofeld <clears throat> were behind everything. Yeah. And Spectre, uh, sorry, Blofeld and Bond have this child connection that they knew each other one summer. And the first hour of it is brilliant. I love the Dance of the Dead stuff. I love all the investigation Mm -hmm. into who's behind it all. I I genuinely love that they did a decent job of tying it all together. Yeah. Even going so far as to make Quantum relevant with Mr. White. Yeah. So they even made Quantum work for them. Even though none of them are, are particularly happy with Quantum. Yeah. Even Daniel Craig's a bit, mm, script needed another pass. Well, uh, in the, uh, the, the the Apple TV documentary on... Being uh, James Craig, Bond. Yeah. He's, he's very honest when he said that they started without even having a finished script, yeah. which was a bad idea. Because they had released it. Yeah. And then the writer's strike happened. So the writer turned in the draft, as you saw in that documentary, and then yeah. he couldn't do a rewrite. Yeah. So basically, they just had to work with what they were doing. Now, Andrew Ellard, who was script editor on Red Dwarf, mm. did a brilliant 90-minute YouTube video where he dissects every bit of Quantum as a script editor. That's his professional job. Okay. And he goes, right, this is clearly what they were going for, and this does pay off. But it all needed tidying up and clarifying. But it is all there yeah. if you're paying attention to it. So he did a good job of that. But anyway, so the fourth Bond film is always following a massive hit. And they've got to replicate that massive hit whilst not doing the same thing. Yeah. And Spectre, for me, falls apart the minute Madeline Swan and Bond get off the train and go to Spectre HQ. And Blofeld appears. Okay. The first hour, I think, he's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it does get very underwhelming when all becomes very Blofeld all along. Yeah. Well, so that's where... It was, it was Agatha all along. <laughs> so, yeah, I never got the whole... Oh, they're madly in love with each other thing, which is one of my big problems with No Time to Die. But I felt that in that first act, which I think is like one of the best opening scenes, even if it does drag a bit. The Halloween opening, where he basically, Madeline's been stalked by a serial killer. Which we already knew anyway. Yes. So, yeah, but it, I guess... See, either of... that first ten <clears throat> minutes can be locked off the film. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I really like that opening scene. So that was kind of when I was like, right, I don't like this, but I'm not going to get into the film if I don't accept it. Mm. So after that, I, I thought it was I thought it was really good. And I really enjoyed it, especially the ending. 
Um, but I didn't necessarily liked how we got there. It felt like they had the end. So I thought the end didn't. I didn't think they were gonna do that. Nobody thought they were gonna do that. I the jo- fact that they kept that a secret is remarkable. I, on the way there, I jokingly said to Dana, "Like, oh, there's not really gonna be any spoilers for this, is there? Like, what are they gonna do? Kill him off?" To James Bonfeld. Yeah, that's and that's what they were bargaining on. And but I think it really works because. Do you know, do you think that ending works? Right, here's the thing. James Bond right. Radio say the attack on Blofeld. Yeah. Blo- it should have been Blofeld. Yeah. They made an excellent argument that it shouldn't have been Remy Malik. Blofeld should have been behind the whole thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. The final confrontation in the Garden of Death, which they took straight from the novel for You Only Live Twice, right. should have been Blofeld. Okay, yeah, yeah. But so I think it works because you're doing one of two things. You are Ending Daniel Craig's run, yeah, which has been story-driven. It has this overarching narrative, even mm. if it was somewhat retroactively. And you're now ending that. But even retroactively, they did a good job with it. Yeah. Or you are answering the question, are they all the same James Bond? Or is it a code name? Because now you can do someone else. You've got an easy out as to why he's a different actor in the next film. So I quite like it that the the doing those kind of things, even if they are like, for the franchise, not necessarily the story. They're kind of opening themselves up to do whatever. The thing is, though, also, it's the only way you can finish, isn't it? Like, double O's don't have a very long life no, expectancy. No, that's, that's one of the running so through the novel. if they are going to end it, I feel like that's the only way it can end. James Bond does not deserve a happy ending. See, my thing with that is, right, as I don't disagree with you, Yeah. James Bond doesn't surrender to death. So... And that's why I don't like how we got there. Hmm. Because Rami Malek plays a non-character. Yeah, Rami Malek's very weak. The the villain is just a villain. They the, had Christoph Waltz right yeah, there. The, he's just there to be the villain, just to fill in that role. The To have the evil island that they go to where they blow up. All of this feels like it's just there for the sake of killing him off at the end. And so why I like how it ended how we got there just feels like oh of course yeah we've just got to check this off to get here see none of my complaints are, are what some other people have complained about it is it's pretty decent adaptation of the you only live twice novel yeah where bond is on a revenge kick yeah he does get a bit of a family mm-hmm. all of that stuff yeah and so all of that felt true my problem with it as i said i think james bond surrenders to death he stands on that island and lets the missiles hit and he doesn't do a thing Bond doesn't do that. Yes, he's a double O. Yes, he knows his life expectancy is short. Yeah. But one of the things the Daniel Craig movies have not got right is Bond loves his life. Yeah. You know, he's got fast cars, loose women, uh, goes all over the world, actually, kills you know, people. I, I disagree with that. Do you? Yeah. When, is, when from, does Daniel Craig look like he's having fun? I think this stems from Skyfall and why I think Skyfall is one of the most interesting films from the characterization of James Bond. So... He loves life, he loves his job, until he realises that his boss doesn't give a shit about him. Yeah, but he so, knew that in Casino Royale! No, it's when he accepts it, when he sees what M does to people. 
And so that's when things start ticking for him and he starts accepting who he is and what he does. And it even breaks down to this point where he even goes so far mm-hmm. as to show her his childhood home, to say to her, this is who I was before you turned me into who I am. Mm. And not even that does anything because the very next day he goes into work with a new boss and he just says, report for duty. And he becomes this cog in the machine who, as we see, gets even more cynical and depressed until he meets Madeline Swan. That is actually an exceptionally good reader. I still don't buy he surrenders to death. Okay. That's my problem with it. Yeah. I have no problem with anything up until that point. Yeah. James Bond scrabbles for life. He claws at life. He retains it. He would be legging it off that island before it blew up. For Queen and Country. No, for me. Yeah. He'd be legging it. And you could still even have the tragic ending. He can't go and see Madeline and his daughter again. Yeah. Because he's been exposed to the virus. So you could have had him survive and still had that sad ending. Yeah. But the problem that they've got now with the mainstream audience, right? And again, this goes back to, remember when we saw Amazing Spider-Man? And the two kids said, but Uncle Ben's dead. Right. And I instantly knew, right, this franchise is dead. Yeah. It's the same here. Now, I know we are now in a post-Spider-Man world, Mm -hmm. which we've not got to yet, but we will where the multiverse is now generally accepted by the mainstream audience. And that may work in Bond's favour. Right. Because they can all now clearly say, well, no, Daniel Craig was Earth B's Bond. (laughs) And now we're moving over to Earth 007 for the next Bond. Okay. But my problem is there were two girls when we were in London. Yeah. And we were sat having a coffee or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the two girls were discussing the, the James Bond films. They were only about 14. Right. So I was surprised they were discussing it in the first place. But genuinely, this 100% happened. And one of them was on about, oh, they're saying such and such is going to be the next James Bond. And the other one said, but he's dead. Yeah. Where do you go from that? Well, Now, you're arguing... You can go wherever you, you want. Wherever think, you want. Yeah. I'm arguing that to a mainstream audience, you have killed him. And actually, the best thing to do here is the next Bond film is Lasana Lynch's 007. And all that same supporting cast, you just don't have Daniel Craig in it. Yeah. And I think every one of those could pull that off. And I'd actually be down to see that film. And Anna Diarmas becomes his new Felix Leiter. Or her (laughs) new Felix Leiter. Because she stole that scene. Yeah, she's only in 10 minutes. But it's the strongest 10 minutes. It's the best scene in the film. And some of that comes from the fact that she and Daniel Craig already knew each other from Knives Out. Yeah. So there was already a bit of a relationship shorthand there. Yeah. But the second bit is, and loads of people hated this. Okay. Her gag about I've only been training for three weeks. Yeah. And then she's brilliant. And at the end of it, Bond actually says to her, "You are fantastic." Yeah. And a load of people have complained about that line. Of course. And you're like, yeah, Bond's a. I don't. I would. I would borderline say he's not a misogynist because he does love women. Yeah. But he loves them in their place. Yeah. And he has a distinct problem with women that is an inherent part of his character. That Daniel Craig has talked about in interviews, he said that's part of who he is. It's yeah. not my place as the actor to say he's judging on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he, in this one, he seems to make his peace with that as well. Well, Because he doesn't seem to have a problem with a female 007 as the film goes along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that bit reeks awful as well. At the end of it where she says, you can be 007 again. No, she shouldn't have done that. Yeah. M should have either said, right, for this mission, I'm reinstating you as 007, and she should have sulked about it. Yeah. Rightly so. Or he shouldn't have been 007 for that mission. Yeah. She should have stayed 007. That really pissed me off, that, because that's the the filmmakers not having the courage of their convictions. 
Okay, yeah. She should have stayed 007 throughout that entire film. How much of his relationship with women in this one do you think is the influence of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's? Well, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's said... Because you can, you can sense her presence in she the script She said she just times. did a dialogue polish. Was that she it? literally okay. said that's all she did. She was brought on at the last minute before yeah. they started filming to just do a dialogue punch up, and every and she actually answered the question: Was it specifically the women? Right. And she said no. Okay. I was asked to punch up the dialogue throughout the entire film yeah. because Daniel was a big fan of Fleabag and that back and forth dialogue, and he wanted that. And that was which it. shows, yeah, specifically in the scene where he's interrogating Blofeld, where I felt Daniel Craig was off. Okay. Do you not think when he's doing that? No, no. To see the way I see it. And I'm like, you're not a, it's, you're not a riffing comedian. You're James Bond. It's too conversational. Yeah, yeah. That reeked of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Mm. It did have a lot of really good. I think all of the side characters stole it. Every single mm-hmm. one of them was great. Lasana Lynch was great. Yeah. Anna De Armas was great. I even like Madeline Swan in this one. Yeah. Christoph Waltz is wasted. But uh, Bond's allies. So Q's great in it. Yeah, uh, Q's always brilliant. Yeah. Love New Money Penny because uh, I have a. Mad crush on Naomi Harris. M's great in it. Oh, what, what is the bit where he's talking to like, oh, you've got to let me follow this. Like, no, you can't do it anymore. You already have, haven't you? Fucking Q. <laughs> yeah, you're the other bit where they're on London Bridge yeah. chatting. Yeah. And they play on a Majesty's Secret Service in the background. Yeah. I loved all that. I loved all those musical throwbacks uh, to the earlier movies. The great scene as well. I think it was a long take where they realise that he's gone and found out his daughter mm. and then they find the guy who's tracking them and he's in their location and then that entire sequence where they're like tensely looking out and then they get chased and then they're chasing through the forest and then that bit where he's going through the forest shooting the people through the mm-hmm. fog great scene the best thing about that right were they fix a problem with fewer eyes only right that i absolutely loathe <clears throat> for your eyes only is roger's best film okay spy who love me is he's is the favorite yeah for your eyes only is best one because it wasn't written for roger moore Right. Roger Moore quit after Moonraker, yeah. and it was going to be a new Bond. And right. then they waved all the money in the world at him, and Roger went, oh, okay, I will come <laughs> back for more. But the Bond in Fewer Eyes Only is a lot harsher than okay. the Bond Roger Moore's been playing. Yeah. And there's a bit in that where he's romancing the Contessa, right? and she's nothing to do with it. right? She's nothing to do with the plot, she's nothing to do with the bad guys. He gets a bit of information from her, but that's about it. Yeah. And then the bad guy kills her, okay. because he can Right. And Bond is really pissed off about this because like, she's not part of the game. Yeah. She's not fur game. And at the end of it, he's got him in a car over a cliff and he kicks the cliff off, the kicks the car off the end. He cold-blooded murders him. Yeah. That's not a license to kill. He murders him yeah. in revenge for killing the Contessa. And Roger Moore follows it up with a quip. <laughs> and all he, what he should have done is either say nothing yeah. or he should have said that was for the Contessa and raised an <laughs> eyebrow. It shouldn't have been a funny moment. Yeah. And he fixed that in this. Okay. When he's in with the guy in the Range Rover who killed Felix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just shoots him. And he just kills him. Yeah. And again, that's a revenge killing. Yeah. That's not a license to kill. He just murders him because yeah. he murdered Felix. And Daniel Craig doesn't do the cute one-liner because yeah. that's not been his thing throughout the entire film. Although I did love... I showed someone your watch. Blew his brains out. <laughs> and I thought, was that like Daniel Craig going, come on, <laughs> I've got to do at least one yeah. before I go. Because all of Daniel Craig's one-liners have been sardonic. They've mm. not been cute little double entendres, even all the way back to Casino Royale. Yeah. With um, the, the second kill is easier, yes. Considerably. Considerably. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I think a lot of people haven't got. Daniel Craig is funny. Yes. But in a very different way 
to the other Bonds. He doesn't do the sarcastic one-liners. He doesn't do the double entendres. Yeah. He doesn't do the quips. He's the Harrison Ford of James yeah. Bond. But he does... He is funny. Yeah. I think he's hysterical in places. So that's what M stands for. I always yeah. thought it was a randomly designated letter. <laughs> I, 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 I think he's been... Overall, he's been brilliant. Yeah. And as it currently stands, he's my favourite Bond. Mm. But I, I cannot... And maybe I'll change my mind when I watch it again. Yeah. And maybe I'll see it differently. But as it stands, I saw that as him basically saying, I accept death. Mm. And I'm like, that's not James Bond. James Bond's James T. Kirk. He cheats death. Yeah. He cheats his way out of death and pats himself on the back for his ingenuity. He doesn't just accept it. He always reprograms the computer. Yeah. He should have been doing that run that he does. <laughs> legging it away from the island, trying the, his best to get as far away as possible. And the tragedy of it is he just can't. Yeah. Or he disappears and you don't know what happened to him. I'd rather have had an ambiguous ending. And then what you could do with the next one mm. is... Oh, which one is it? Is it Thunderball? It may be you only live twice again. Okay. Bond has no memory in one of the Ian Fleming novels. Right. And he's trained to kill M. Okay. So if we didn't see that he died at the end of this one... Yeah. You pick up with the next... You could be a different actor. It doesn't matter. Uh, the plot twist is that and was Bond all along. the plot twist, along. it was Bond. Yeah. And he's now been brainwashed to shoot M. I think I like the definitiveness of that ending, though. Mm. It's it's something that I didn't think they would have the well, confidence you, do you to do. you think Daniel Craig would have had it any other way? Well, true. But I did like my favourite bit of the whole film was probably as soon as that bomb hit, a guy down in the cinema stood up and went, You can't kill Bond! <laughs> and what? Stormed out of the cinema. Really? Yes. So yeah, everyone I watched it with was just like, like, they genuinely couldn't believe they'd done it. No, he, he was very vocal about his disbelief. Right. Okay, fine. Anyway, well, that's our James Bond and my first present. It we'll is. do your first present and, and then carry on with Marvel. So, going with the Blu-ray theme uh, I have from you. Yes, from me. The new Neon Genesis... Sorry, no, from me and Mum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> of course. Uh, the new Neon Genesis Evangelion box set uh, from weallthianime.com. Is that the name? It is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, which is really good. So this got announced uh, earlier in the year. They announced the collector's edition of it. Because uh, it's not been released. I think it had a Japanese release on DVD. But it hasn't had a proper home release since Laserdisc. Yeah. So it, uh, they announced this collector's edition. Limited to 12 million copies. Like £200. Uh, this nice big box set. Full of tat. Designed. Full of tat. <laughs> based on <laughs> the original Laserdisc. Uh, release, but then they just announced this standard uh, box set which collects the entire show plus the director's cut episodes of the final few that they went back to do to set up the film, and then it includes uh, the two films. So it basically includes everything that's already on Netflix, but then it just comes with a lot of bonus features like promos, adverts, uh, deleted scenes. Uh, the making of deleted scenes. So a Blu-ray box set from when they cared about their Blu-ray box sets. Yeah, there's there's a lot in this to, to justify by Not just the fact that it's probably the most important and influential anime uh, next so to... So Cowboy Bebop's the gateway drug. Yeah. And then this. Yeah. Uh, this is the type of thing where, like... Because it started off as a subversion of all the tropes. So... Uh, Gundam, specifically. Did Ryan Johnson make it? <laughs> yeah. So, Gundam, specifically, is... There's this big war going on, and and this kid, Dad's worked on this machine, and he's like, yeah, I want to get in the robot and fight, fight, and then and this. 
there's a big fight going on and the kid doesn't want to get in the machine because he hates his dad and it's 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 really good it starts off as just a anime and then halfway through because Hideaki Anno got bored of the show mm. he's incredibly depressed there was the uh, Tokyo underground gas attack and they run out of budget he's like let's just turn it up so it becomes this mental show about depressed broken people and biblical prophecies so by the time you get to the film when I finished the film, I needed to sit for a good 10 minutes just processing what had happened. It's genuinely one of the most shocking films I've seen. And you made me watch the first three episodes. Yeah, it's really good. It's, it is, actually. I was um, quite impressed with it. I was quite impressed with the fact they just throw you into it. They don't explain a goddamn thing. They kind of explain things as they go along. It's one of the problems with the remake films as well, is they do that even more so. So mm. the remake films, the last one of which came out earlier in the year. Yeah. They had even more weird shit, and I was like, "Yeah, we're not explaining this." Um, and then you get to the the ending of it, where Hideaki Anno is just saying, "Guys, let this show end." I did it thirty years ago. I want to make my little Ultraman and Carmen Rider films. It's just a TV show. Go away. So he wraps it all up more miserably. No, he wraps it up where the ending is the character who represents him mm. goes off with the character who looks a lot like his wife. And they have a bright, happy little ending as they run off into the distance away from all the other characters. It's a little on the nose. Well, I may carry on watching it when you go back home because I did enjoy those first three episodes. There you go, Ben. (laughs) Just for you. You made me watch Neon Genesis Evangelina Lily. And I very much enjoyed it. So there you go. It's really good. If anything, just for the bonus features that come with it. And it probably won't be on Netflix. For long. For long, yeah. Mm. Alright, so that was Neon Genesis Evangelion. Should we go back to Marvel? Like, yeah. Alright, because so we had another film. We had another, well, we had another TV show. <clears throat> but you've not seen Hawkeye. I have not seen because Hawkeye. Because Hawkeye follows directly on from Black Widow. Yep. With, uh, with, with Kate Bishop. Yes. So every time I hear that now, I need to follow it up with Kate Bishop. Okay. This is wonderful mac and cheese, Kate Bishop. <laughs> she's in other films where she's not Russian. <laughs> I know, but she's so good in this, Yelena. <laughs> she's good in every... I, I, I firmly believe that Florence Pugh has never done anything bad. Well, she was in Midsummer. Yes. Which she was very good in. Which she immediately followed up with Little Women. Which I haven't she, seen Little Women. Which she said after filming Midsummer was a form of therapy. <laughs> Little Women is great. I, uh, I I was playing Bloodborne, which is incredibly oppressively dark. Yeah. So I had a bit. I had a bit of a break, and I watched Little Women and had a big cry. Oh, you big sentimental softer. It's it's very manly to open up about. Is it? it is. Yeah, fair enough. No judgment from me. Dude. <laughs> I'm very living like live, as you well know. All right. Okay. So we can't really talk about Hawkeye because you've not seen it. Mm-hmm. But right. So Hawkeye has to take place next Christmas. <laughs> this again. Yeah. <laughs> That's two, dude. Okay, yeah. If the snap was in 2017, yep. they were gone for five years. <clears throat> that yep. brings them back in 2022, right? Yeah. Hawkeye cannot happen this Christmas. It has to be next Christmas. Okay. Because otherwise that doesn't fit in with Spider-Man. Okay. Which, No Way Home yep. and Far From Home, yep. the last two Spider-Man films, but not in that order, yep. both took place after the snap. Yep. And in the interim period, Peter has graduated. And you graduate in June, July. So they all take place over roughly the same summer. Has he graduated? Yes, because he's he's done his MIT application. And in the final scene, spoilers, in the final scene in Spider-Man Far From Home, it's now Christmas. Right. Where he goes to see MJ and Ned, and they've been there in MIT. You don't apply for the next school before you finish school. When do you apply for it? Uh, Around January, February. So you apply in the new year. 
so that everything or even like March so you so you apply in the new year yeah. so that you are ready and have a place. Yeah, so he was applying in the new year of twenty twenty two. Okay. He has to have been. But then he can't have graduated because he doesn't exist anymore. That's very true. So this is so Spider Man Far From Home, okay. We can't so they, talk about Hawkeye. So Peter Parker's a high school dropout. No, because he's left high school when Doctor Strange wiped everyone's memory. By default. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you will still have those transcripts and those still proofs of passing and stuff like that, won't he? In theory. No. See, this is what I mean. Peter Parker doesn't exist. As much as I loved it, and I did, I was never bored in the two and a half hours that that film run. I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah. I think Tom Holland's brilliant. I don't care what anyone says. I loved seeing everybody else in it. I loved seeing all the old bad guys again. I was yeah. surprised by how much they got to do. I was a bit disappointed that there was no new bad guy for Tom Holland. They were all old bad guys. Yeah, I was They a... didn't quite pull off Sinister Six. <laughs> I was a little disappointed by how little they were used. But I think Green Goblin's used quite a lot because he's the impetus for the plot. And he, he kills Aunt May. He is, but he is rehashing what he did in the first one. And despite the fact that Willem Dafoe deserves an Oscar for his performance... Oh, he's brilliant, wasn't he? So he, was Melina. He does very little. They don't do anything. See, I disagree with that. I think that whole plane of the relationship between Peter and Norman is really cool. There's just not... There's very little of it. It's a two and a half hour movie and they've got a lot of plot to get through. But there's very little of that, especially... I was very disappointed by the handling of the other two Spider-Men. Well, yeah. Yeah. See, I think Andrew Garfield gets a decent send-off. Toby's just there. more the case of we've just had this big... The entire sequence in the condo is great. Yeah. And then we cut to this awkwardly clunky scene where the other two Spider-Man just walk into the film. See, well, I didn't mind that at all. I mean, in my cinema screening, right, the minute Andrew Garfield appears and walks through the portal, there was a guy in the other aisle who went, Yes! Awful. No, leave Awful. the lad alone. I hate He's that. enjoyed himself. It just, the type of film that it was, I expected more of a heroic, feel-good intro rather than just, I'm Peter Parker, I'm going to walk in. But Andrew Garfield go. gets his heroic moment. He manages to save MJ. Don't, they get the moments, and that's a great bit where he saves MJ and has a little cry. I'm just saying how they get into the film. They're just thrown in because they need to be there. Well, well and, but what's wrong with that in this particular instance? It just... You're an assassin of joy, aren't you? I enjoyed the film. <laughs> it's just like, oh, when are the new Spider-Man going to get up the, the hit now? Okay. Yeah. That's my main problem with it, right, is the fact that there were there were still some elements of surprise to it despite the fact Twitter has gone out of its way to spoil the movie for the past 18 months. And even the bits that we did know were going to be in it were still good. Yeah. I'm a very good lawyer. Yes, that was excellent. Yeah. That was an excellent scene. <clears throat> and the fact that they managed to tie that into the Kingpin's appearance on Hawkeye in the same week, given the amount of juggling they've had to do with release dates, yeah. was really impressive. Here's my theory. Right. The Charlie Cox scene wasn't originally in the film. If okay. that had come out when it was supposed to come out, like back in summer or whatever, yeah. I don't think that Charlie Cox scene was in it. Okay. I think that scene was like a late pickup or whatever once the rights had all cleared and the delay helped them with that. Right, okay. So they may have known Kingpin was going to be in Hawkeye, but the Charlie Cox scene was happy coincidence. I could be wrong, but it would have worked just as well if it was Jennifer Walters as a setup for the new She-Hulk series. Yeah. Or... 
when he tells Happy to get a, a lawyer, he gets Jennifer Walters. So then you can have both of them. You can have both of them. It was Mike Bailey who pointed out to me that Matt Murdock doesn't make the connection that Happy Hogan was Foggy Nelson in the Ben Affleck movie. Right, okay. And I argued, well, he's blind. <laughs> I suppose. And yeah. I couldn't remember if he spoke or not for him to recognise the voice. Yeah, of course he does. So, so that would have been, you know, just a little... <laughs> double take kind of thing would have been cool I, I think I think Marvel are happy to accept some films just not yes, all maybe the not films. the Ben Affleck film well Jessica Henwick like what do you want Wesley Snipes to have a cameo on the new yes. Blade Jessica Henwick was Colleen Wing right in the Iron Fist TV series Netflix okay. she was offered one of the lead roles in Shang-Chi which we have not talked about okay and she turned oh, yeah, that's another film down that came out. to do Matrix Resurrections right because her theory was, as much as I would have loved to have done another Marvel property, I'm already Misty Knight. And by doing this, they're saying Misty Knight's gone. And right. I kind of liked Misty. Okay. So I chose to do Mercy Resurrections instead. Okay. Which is fair enough. Yeah. Fair play. So so I loved Spider-Man. I, gen- I love the score as well. I love that the weaves all the other themes. Uh, yeah, so when they played the Danny Elfman's original theme, yep. which I saw Mike Bailey say something that Someone had told him that the theme wasn't memorable. The Mike, the, the yeah, Elfman one. It's was, great. And I was like, no, 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 it, 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 it is. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I agree with Mike Bailey. It is a very memorable yeah. theme. So, but then they played it when he saved Sandman. It's like this isn't the time to be playing this theme. Well, they played James Horner's theme for Andrew Garfield as well, not the one from Amazing Spider-Man Two. Yeah, which is good. Because the score to Spider-Man 2 is pretty shit, which is a shame because Johnny Marr's on it. <laughs> and as you know, we're a big fan of Johnny Marr. The fil- the song's inspired by Spider-Man 2. Now, that is a great soundtrack. Is it, though? <laughs> Vindicated by the Dashboard Confessional is a great song. Okay, I'll, I'll buy that. So we loved Spider-Man. You with caveats, me with none at all. I enjoyed it. It falls apart if you, I, take, if you I, take away the nostalgia. I, so three of me... Four, if I say it again, I like that Marvel closed the year on a high with Spider-Man and Hawkeye, because I enjoyed Hawkeye arguably more than any of the other TV it's, shows. It's an optimist who sees Spider-Man and thinks of that as a high, because it's, it's a very it's, it's a very high. bleak when you're saying. All right, all right, all right. Black Widow is perfectly serviceable, but it's a prequel. Right. It's not servicing anything other than setting up your laner. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. I've not seen The Eternals. And I think oh, no, that's I'm symptomatic. Not, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you that the film in and of itself is a high, but by the time you get to the end of it... Oh, it's the, a downbeat ending. Yeah, it's exactly. Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. But that was the problem with Amazing Spider-Man 2, wasn't it? They thought they could kill Gwen, who everybody loved, because everybody loves Emma Stone. Tell yeah. me somebody who doesn't love Emma Stone, and oh. I'll show you a curmudgeon. <laughs> right. right? And then they thought they could take away from that and have a positive ending. Yeah. And you're like, no, <laughs> even the comics realised you cannot kill her yeah. and have a positive ending. Especially given that Emma Stone is just adorable in those films. <laughs> so killing her was stupid anyway. Yeah. Peter, Tom Holland, should have been all about, well, we need to save her as well. That's it, what he should have been well, about. She, she's already dead. But this film realises that you can't have an upbeat ending to a film where you've just killed Aunt May. Yeah. And Peter Parker has just lost his life. Yeah. Not literally, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So, fair play to him to that. But in comparison to everything else Marvel have done this year, Spider-Man and Hawkeye are high. Again, the Eternals just disappeared off everybody's radar, mm-hmm. which is a shame, but I've not seen it yet, so we'll see what happens. Shang-Chi? You liked Shang-Chi more than I did. I enjoyed Shang-Chi a lot. Why? It's... 
Sleeping Dogs, which you've not played yet. Yeah. So that kind of... I, I enjoyed the relatable, alcoholic, shithouse, mid-twenties hero <laughs> in the... Uh, it was like looking in a mirror. Yeah, in the, the neon-soaked <laughs> China that they end up going to. And I I am a big fan... I'm a big fan of the the handsome man that is Tony Lung, who he was plays, the bad guy. He was the but bad guy. But this is the thing with Shang Chi, right? I didn't think it was bad. I yeah. enjoyed it from mm-hmm. top to bottom. I enjoyed the guy who played Shang Chi. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed Tony Lung. Yeah. I enjoyed Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. I loved that Thingyo shows up again. Ben yeah. Kingsley with his little fluffy friend. Love that. Yeah. Love him. Love. I think he's brilliant. Love Wong. Yeah. I love that Wong. You said it best. Wong is now the new Nick Fury. Yeah, and then he shows he showed up in everything. Yeah, and it's always a cameo role that has nothing to do with the story. So when Nick Fury would show up, it it's was now Wong. it was a plot point. <laughs> Wong's just like eh, whatever, and he just appears, does what he's doing, and leaves. And I love Benedict Wong. Yeah, so I think he's brilliant. So I, I, I enjoyed that very much. My problem with Shang Chi, and again, this is ignoring the fact that they have actually cast genuine Chinese people in the roles. There's no what's yeah, yeah. casting going on here. Fair play to him for that. All the power in the world for that. It felt to me very much like Doctor Strange and Iron Man yeah. and all of them. It's just another origin. Well, film. that's that's all it is. Like, being honest, like most first Marvel films, or even like most Marvel films, it's just perfectly serviceable. Yes, it was perfectly enjoyable, it's, but nothing special. Yeah, it's another Doctor Strange, it's another Ant-Man, it's another one of yeah, those. Yeah, that's the one I was looking for, Ant-Man. Yeah. It's perfectly fine, but I enjoyed the cast and the pace of it. That it just felt, yeah. No, I did too. I don't like Hubert Cumberdale enough to like Doctor Strange. I don't care <laughs> about Ant Man enough to enjoy that. But but yeah. Ant Man coasts by on the charm of Paul Rudd. Well, just like this, I enjoyed the inherent shit housery of the cast. Yeah, and it has one of the best end credit scenes, where it's like, which oh, is the end credit scene? Oh, we could just you know go home and be sensible. Or... Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> and they're all at karaoke with Wong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I love seeing the Abomination again. Yeah. That is apparently set so, up She-Hulk. And the Incredible Hulk is now canon. And the Incredible Hulk is... Well, that's been canon since they brought back General Ross. Well, they shunned General Ross, didn't they? Yeah, but they brought him back for Civil War and he was in another one, wasn't he? Was he in Civil War? Yes, he's in Civil War and he's in... Is he in Endgame? Maybe. He's in two of them. Okay, I know okay. he's in two of them. He's in the end game. He's in the end credit. Oh no, Iron Man's in the end credits. The Hulk, yeah. isn't it? Right. And I'm gonna die on the hill that the Incredible Hulk is still one of the finest, most enjoyable Marvel movies. It is. It is up there with Age of Ultron. Sorry, I said it. I like Age of Ultron <laughs> and Thor too. Yeah, I'm a bit iffy on Thor too. I enjoy Thor too, uh, but I very much enjoy Thor. I yeah. don't think Thor deserves a lot of the hate that it gets. No? In fact, the further away you get from them the more of them you look at those early building blocks of what the MCU has become and gone, but they didn't really put a foot wrong. No. Even Iron Man 2, let's be honest. I only dislike Iron Man 2 because I can't stand the actor who plays the real, the bad guy in it. Mickey Rock. Yeah, I can't be done Not with Mickey Sam Rock. Sam Rock's face. Oh no, I love him. Yeah, yeah. Sam Rockwell, they could bring him back for every movie. <laughs> I love Sam Rockwell. Yeah. And I think that's Mickey Rock's problem. Right. I think Mickey Rock's problem is he's, he's a boring method actor. He thought all his stuff with the bird was genius <laughs> and yet Sam Rockwell just walks in and steals the film from under him yeah and you're like they cut all my best bits <laughs> did they know what were your best bits <laughs> they cut all your best bits so my problem with Iron Man 2 is him it's, the, the film is actually perfectly enjoyable yeah not as good as Iron Man 3 
Iron Man 3. I really enjoy. I will die on the hill that Iron Man 3 is my favourite Marvel yeah, film. Fair enough. No other big mainstream blockbuster he- uh, film has done mental health as a relatable superhero. As, as well as Iron Man 3. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's a Christmas movie. And it's a Christmas film. Yeah, there you go. So if you look at the, the over the, the rich history now of whatever it is, 10 years, yeah. they've not made an utter stinker. They've not made something that, I don't know, makes you want to slit your wrist because it's just so terribly miserable <laughs> as you're watching it for an interminable three hours. Visionary. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I do apologise. So anyway, that's that's a year in Marvel. <laughs> yeah. Because that's it. We can't talk about Hawkeye okay. because you've not seen it. So my next present was from your lovely girlfriend. Hi, Dana. The 50-year mission, the first 25 years by Edward Gross and Mark A. Altman, with a foreword by Seth MacFarlane, is a big, fat, 600-page deep dive into the making of Star Trek, the original show and the first six movies. The second 25 years is apparently Next Generation onwards. Okay. So maybe I'll get that one next year. But Mark Altman hosts the Inglorious Trek podcast, and it's really good. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. And I used to read his stuff when he wrote for Cine Fantastique. Right. When he used to do all the deep dives into the next generation episodes, so that was great, and I very much love. I've read the first like chapter or so, and I love Seth MacFarlane's intro. Really? Which, yes. Okay. Well, that's why he's made the Orville. Right. Okay. Because and the Orville is really the Orville's a great Star Trek show. <laughs> it is honest. Okay. Star Trek Discovery. The Orville's a great Star Trek show. <laughs> just saying. Oh, I hate just. I hate that. Do you know that's passive aggressive bullshit. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, what did you get? So, uh, next up, this is from uh, Dana's sister. Ah. So, this is The Cake Tree in the Ruins by Akiyuki Nasaka. Is it a book? It's Yeah, it's a little... little oh, right, yeah, I thought it was uh, a I've book. not read it yet, uh, but this is the story that Studio Ghibli's Grave of the Fireflies is based on. That uh, that miserable the, old grave of the Fireflies. Well, yeah, so we, I think we're having a bit of a, a, a Ghibli binge. So... I can't stand a lot of Disney films, but Dana loves them, so we kind of make this thing where she watches them, so then I watch a Ghibli film with her. Mm-hmm. So we kind of balance it out. Uh, and we were, we were watching uh, Grave of the Fireflies, and I said, this is you know, really depressing. It's, it's a bit of bleak. It is very depressing. It's, it's really Your sad. Your mum would love it. And she goes, is it really that sad, or is it just a bit... All right, okay. Well, she bawled in her eyes. At weeping, end, weeping. <laughs> Uh, so we found out that it was based on a short story. So, uh, uh, yeah, little surprise. Excellent. So I'll read this at some point when I've finished the rest of my depressing books. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> hey, you see what I did there? <laughs> it's like we planned this shit. It's like we planned this shit. I have got Life Signs, which is the another Firefly novel by James Lovegrove. This is the fifth. Yes. Yeah. This is the fifth Firefly novel. The sixth is out in January. Right. The seventh is out in June. Okay. This was originally a three book deal. So right. It must be doing well. James Lovegrove has written the majority of them. Una McCormack's writing the next one. And I'm completely forgetting. You vamp. <laughs> right. You vamp for a second. Uh, over the, the, the talking and the looking. Yeah, with the talking <laughs> and the looking. Tim Levin. That's it. Tim Leban wrote one called Generations, which I haven't read yet. Right. I've read the first two. So this is now, I've now got three of these that I've not read. James Lovegrove's one of brilliant. Big okay. Damn Hero is fantastic. Right. And at the moment, they're all set in between Firefly and Serenity. 
Okay. So Wash is still around. <laughs> this one is explaining why Inara is not on board Serenity in the movie of the same name, not the pilot episode of Firefly, which yeah. is also called Serenity. So this is explaining her illness and why she had to leave the ship. Okay. And apparently, if it goes forward, they are going to start moving beyond the Serenity. Is that movie. not what the comics did, or did they the comics, backwards? I think the comics have gone 15 years into the future. Right. And are now, essentially now. So if the show had carried on running, because yeah. the show is now 15 years old, yeah. the Wash's... Zoe was pregnant with Wash's child. Right. When he died, apparently. Okay. And now she's part of the crew. Right. She's now 15 years old and part of the crew. But everyone else is still there. Okay. Which I've never read. I've never read any of Boom's comics. So I don't know how well that is. But honestly, if you're a big fan of Firefly... And you're slightly down on everything that went down with Joss Whedon. These are great books. The James Lovegrove ones especially are brilliant, obviously. Um, there was some... They came out in, a, in the wrong order. Okay. Right. Nancy Holder was supposed to write Big Damn Hero. Right. He was supposed to write the second one, The Magnificent Nine. Can you guess what a film that may be inspired by? Uh, 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 yeah. Just, you know. And what happened was Nancy Holder became ill and could not finish the first book. Right. So James Lovegrove went and wrote the first book after he'd written the second book. Okay. But the first book came out first. Right. And he's therefore better than the second book because he's got a better handling on the characters. Right. Okay. He then wrote the third book. Yeah. No, Tim Leban was supposed to write the third book. Okay. But there was delays in the third book, which meant that James Lovegrove, who was asked to write the fourth book... Did the third one. Wrote the fourth one really quick, so that became the third one. Right. And the fourth book that came out yeah. is the third book. Okay. So they came out in a wacky order, and now I'm presuming that if the first one was a three-book deal... Well, no, that doesn't work either, does it? Because Una McCormack's one that comes out in January would be book three of another three-book deal, which takes them to six. And a seventh one has been solicited by somebody I've never heard of called Emmy England. Okay. So... I don't know. I'd be happy if James Lovegrove just wrote all of them. Because yeah. so far, his have been absolutely fan dabby dozy. And a heart, particularly Big Damn Hero, mm. was brilliant. I loved it. It was it was basically just another episode of the show, which is what you want. Yeah. Mal gets kidnapped. Okay. And has to fight his way out of whatever kidnapping situation he is, while the crew try to find where he is. Yeah. And it's just an episode, but it's a brilliant episode. Okay. And it felt like if they'd done a two-hour season premiere for season two, because they filmed that. It. Yeah. And that would have been great. So, well worth checking out, Firefly fans. What did you get? Uh, next up, uh, if you remember last year, Dana got me the uh, History of the Showa era mangas. I vaguely remember because this year has been simultaneously the fastest and slowest year on record. It has. So she did, and I've, I've still not finished reading them because I've still not finished reading anything I got from last year. So why have we bought your stuff this year? Why can we not just uh, could we not just wrap up your present for last year again? Yeah, I need to extend it. Uh, like I've got it. I always so when I start reading a book, I have to buy the next book I'm going to read, so it's there. <laughs> so I've got a little stockpile. Uh, so this is from Dana's uh, grandma. Hello, Dana's grandma. Uh, so this is uh, Tono Monogatari from Shigeru Mizuki. So which is the author? Shigeru Mizuki. Right. Okay. Um, so this is his mangas about. I think it's his yokai one. Oh, I like the artwork. Why does it go color in places? Uh, so that is from when it's collected in a magazine, uh. or it's because manga. 
was released in compilations. Yeah. Uh, the first one in that volume, yeah. so like your Shonen Jump or whatever, would be in colour. Right. Cool. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty sure the cultural equivalent of Grimm's Fairy Tales. Right. Uh, Japanese folklore. So yeah. Uh, the other one he did from this series is... I am smelling this new book. I think it's called Forward to Their Honourable Deaths, which is is one of the best bits from his history of the Showa era is him in World War Two. Yeah. Because he actually fought in the Pacific oh, like. where he lost his arm. And those are the best bits of just him fighting in the war and you get this taste of like what uh, Japanese military were like. Like if they sent you out on a suicide run and you survived, they would execute you. Yeah, when you, if you came back. Yeah. So those bits are fascinating. So he did a volume on its own that was expanded on his uh, experiences. Mm. And then this one is one of his other famous works where he, um, he has recurring characters that pop up in all of his books. And these ones are uh, the yokai, which are little Japanese monsters. I love that it does that lone wolf and cub thing. Like, it'll have a panel that is just really detailed and beautiful. And then, and then it. it'll go back to, like, normal caricatures. Yeah. yeah, this is really good. He's really good. Like I said, especially the World War Two stuff. Yeah. He's very meticulous with his drawing and then very concise when he needs to be yeah like the panels with the people are like caricatured cartoons yeah and then you'll see a <clears> shot of a place and the level of look at the detail in that mm-hmm. in an audio medium yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry lovely listener yeah it's fantastic yeah it's lovely but these have been really nice little collections i think i've got six of them now very nice and they're really nice little presentations very good very good very good right did dc do anything this year i don't know did Warner Brothers do anything i don't interesting? really follow Wonder Woman 2 was last year, wasn't it? Well, Wonder Woman 2 was Christmas, so technically went into this year. Yeah. And I watched it, and now don't remember a damn thing about it. I didn't watch it. It was fine. I have no interest in DC. I have no interest in the direction they were going in. Yeah. I did enjoy Birds of Prey. Was that I... this year with Ewan McGregor's Black Mask? No, that was also last year, wasn't was it? it? Yeah. I don't remember anymore. We got... So what was this year, then? Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad. Which I've not seen. Suicide Squad was good. Okay. I very much enjoyed Suicide Squad. Because it's James Gunn just goofing off. It's, it's just good. Guardians, but with DC yeah, characters. Yeah, it's not as good as Guardians. Okay. But it's Harley Quinn's great in it, because it's Margot Robbie, and who doesn't love Margot Robbie. Yep. And Idris Elba's great in it, because it's Idris Elba, and who doesn't love Idris Elba. Um, but it's the other characters that make it. Polka Dot Man's brilliant. Right. Nathan Fillion's great in it, as guy whose arms come off. Okay. I can't remember his name. Um... <laughs> supposed comics fan don't know his name um, but yeah The Suicide Squad was much better than Suicide Squad yeah but Birds of Prey and the emancipation of one Harley Quinn was better than Suicide Squad as well right so Margot Robbie's batting two for three okay so fair play to her yeah and now she wants a break from Harley Quinn because she's hard work fair which is fair um, did, the, did that interminable four hour cut of Justice League was that this year was that last year that must have been last year was it last year think so i think somewhere i'm still watching it <laughs> which is why i'm confused and here's the thing right i do not mean this in any way offensively if you liked batman versus superman you will like the the interminable cut of justice league if you felt batman versus superman was three hours of my god this is miserable <laughs> you will not like that version of justice league yeah so it must have been last year what uh, i don't know i don't remember anymore because every now and again, they'll pop their head up on Twitter. Oh, right. They're doing a new Batwoman movie, right? Batgirl movie. Okay. Right. They've cast Batgirl. Yes. 
She looks fine. I don't know who she is. Okay. She looks great. She announced Michael Keaton is going to be in it. Yeah. I'm going to ask you something about this in a minute. Put a pin in that. The, the Snyder Bronies attacked her. You know, a brony is a fan of My Little Pony, right? This oh, is. This, I know exactly you, what it is. You keep saying this and it's a bizarre crossover. Yes. <laughs> I know exactly what I'm saying. Um, yeah, they attack her because she welcomed aboard Michael Keaton and Michael Keaton isn't Ben Alflack. I have a question. How is that her fault? How? Have they in any world considered that maybe, just maybe, when Ban, F- ben, ban when Ben Affleck says, no, I'm done, I don't want to do it anymore, it's the reason I went back to drinking, <clears throat> that he may not want to do those films anymore. I, I think there's, there's a degree of self-awareness there that a lot of these people don't have. Did you watch Inside Number 9 this year? No. You watch this series of Inside Number 9? I don't have, I don't have a, a TV license. There's an episode of Inside Number 9 this year that's kind of a little bit like Stephen King's misery right okay. where a fan yes accosts a writer because he does not like the way the writer ended his show okay and that's what that episode's about yeah and he's basically he's got some dirt on the writer right that he says he will release unless you rewrite the episode as i want it to be okay right and that always makes me think of snyder bronies I don't care, Ben Affleck, that you were driven to alcoholism <laughs> by being Batman. And other factors in your life as well. Yeah. Yeah, your marriage is disintegrating and all that stuff. I want you to play Batman forever. So <laughs> far, I don't care what you want. Yeah. And you're like, at some point, you've got to let it go, man. I mean, maybe if they keep channel championing their cause 20 years down the line, maybe <laughs> they'll invite Zack Snyder back. Stranger things have happened. Did you think 20 years ago Tobey Maguire would come back and play Spider-Man? No, but I think they've just been given the film that they wanted. And that's emboldened them. After after a social media campaign that, let's be honest, was 75% toxic behaviour. I don't want to say borderline harassment. but No, no, it was. Feel free to say that. So I'll say it for you. Borderline <laughs> harassment. So then getting this film... That, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's successful and I'm sure... You know, this... this a lot of this kind of behaviour exists on Twitter, which isn't a real place, um, by a very small but loud minority of people who don't know that Twitter is not a real place. So I'm sure there are people who wanted this film and are glad that it's out. But then there are other people who were given exactly what they wanted because they threw a strop yep. and now believe that they can get other things by throwing a strop. And as a parent, what are you told to do with your kids? If they no, throw a strop. No, no. I, I wouldn't know, but... Uh, you don't give in to them. All the times that I threw a strop, I didn't get what I wanted, so. Exactly. <laughs> that is exactly... You don't give in to a stroppy child. Yeah. And it's... Uh, but like, you said, I was one of the people saying, release that bullshit. I don't give a shit. Yeah. But release it and let them be happy and then they'll shut up. But they haven't. Yeah. And now you've got... Is Ben Affleck going to be in Flashpoint? No. Is that going to happen? I don't. No, I don't think so. I have no idea. I'm sure it's been announced or not announced or whatever. Because again, Affleck does not want to do it. So he may be in it. He may not. Michael Keaton's in it. Here's my question, going back to what you said earlier. This oh, has yeah. an arc, people. <laughs> okay, I think I've asked you this privately, but let's do it on the show. Tobey Maguire coming back was kind of a moment for you. Yeah. He was your Spider-Man. Right. Andrew Garfield is still kind of sort of in the zeitgeist. Right. Because of the way Amazing Spider-Man 2 went down and the people of the generation who were in between us. And it was only like, what, six? Five or six years ago, something like that, yeah. And he got closure from doing this and that's fine. Yeah. Does Michael Keaton coming back in any way excite people who are in their 20s? 
I think to a degree, the Keaton films are still remembered. More so than Val Kilmer, George Clooney. Hmm. And more the first one. Yeah. But I think yeah, I think Michael Keaton is still enough of a, a memorable thing to bring back. Simply because I don't, like Michael Keaton never went away. He did Birdman, which was Batman. Hmm. He did The Vulture, which was Batman. So I do think that not to the same degree as like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, but I think yeah, Michael Keaton as Batman is still a thing. Okay. Maybe targeting your generation well, that's what more I'm than saying. mine. Yeah. That that's where I was going with it. It's going for me. Not you. And they shouldn't be doing that. But let's be honest. That's all the DC films have been doing. Their target audience really has been the older fans. Because If their target audience for the older fans was Batman vs. Superman, well, I've got news for you. No, I really <laughs> I really think it is. I because I think people of of like fans of things of my generation be like, oh that was cool, or that wasn't that good. And I don't really give a shit about the source material. Mm. Whereas, you know, you you there's so many people, I think a lot more DC fans are older than your Marvel fans. Mm. And so I think with that comes a bit more self-righteousness of, I've been a fan for years and I demand the films do this. And yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I think the DC films definitely target older audiences. See, I don't, I don't know who the Snyder Bronies are, but they all seem to be people who've not, again, generalisation. There seem to be a lot of people who haven't read the comics. But yeah, there's that other polar argument though, where they, they, they don't have any kind of context for other things. The guy was like, uh, and again, I thought this was satire. Oh, uh, Justice League, because <laughs> there's more characterization than any of the Lord I'm of the sorry, Rings films. The guy who was arguing that the Lord of the Rings trilogy yeah. was shallower than Zack Snyder's trilogy of philosophical musings. So, I mean, surely you've got to be of a certain age there to, to lack the self-awareness. That Snyder's ah. stuff is better than Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> or even just the kind of, like, contextual understanding that this dude created a whole fucking world and yeah. language... Yeah. Zack Snyder can't get past Watchmen. Yeah. Zack Snyder looked at the Bible once and thought, wow, that's going to be every single film I make. <laughs> and then he read Watchmen and grafted it on. <laughs> yeah, so I, we don't know if Justice League... I don't remember if we talked about it last year. We may have done. Because I've still not seen it. Do you want to? No. No, fair enough. Do you want There's to see the, Flashpoint? There, not really. No, me neither. There are other things that I want to spend four hours doing. Yes. I, I can watch... Seven Samurai, the original film that Justice League's a remake of, and that's only a fraction of the time. <laughs> I'm made by a visionary filmmaker. An actual one! <laughs> Sorry, I can read <sighs> subtitles, and I don't need my colour film to pretend to be in black and white. I'll just watch Seven fucking Samurai. <coughs> oh, God. Anyway! <laughs> uh, oh, they did Matrix Resurrections! Not seen it, and you've only seen twenty minutes. No, I've seen the hour twenty minutes. Oh right, okay. And thoroughly enjoyed that first hour. Right. And then it becomes the Matrix. Right. Uh, but the first hour, I do mean to sit down and watch the rest of it. I got yeah. distracted. I didn't stop watching it because I was bored. I got distracted. Um, by something. 
the first hour is a really good mediation on what exactly is a sequel and why are we doing the sequel and what's the sequel going to say and is it, there is actually a line in the film our parent company Warner Brothers want you to make a sequel to the Matrix okay one of the characters actually says that to Keanu Reeves well that's interesting actually so I think I told you um Epic Games have just made the Unreal Engine 5, which yeah. is supposed to be like huge leaps in uh, graphics, motion capture, how many, like, how realistic games can be, whilst also having a hundred people on screen. And so they use the Matrix to do this, and it's Keanu Reeves and What's a Face, Trinity, Carrie Ann Moss. Carrie Ann Moss. They're in it. And they are in it as themselves. And it's like, oh, hi, I'm Keanu Reeves. Every uh, years ago, I was in a film called The Matrix. And it pushed the boundaries and doing his Keanu Reeves thing. And then it's uh, Mr. Anderson. And then it's Neo. And sometimes they're rendered. Hmm. Sometimes they're actual Keanu Reeves. And it's really fascinating what they're doing. And there's even a bit where it's just like, but to make this game demonstration uh, more interesting for you, we're going to jump into The Matrix and we're going to be our characters. Hmm. And then there's this character in the back. And Neo's like, who's this and she's just like oh yeah so you know we had to make it more interesting so we had to add a playable character so they can watch us he's like what this is a game now i thought we were doing the film no we're doing the film tomorrow right because there's a lot of that in it and there's like neo enters a a bar called ex machina all right deus ex machina yeah and as somebody falls to the floor it's this film is for for people who like to eat shit there's a neon sign in the background yeah so there's lots of commentary on who is this being made for? Yeah. And are we making it for any particular reason other than to make money? Yeah. So do we just give the fans what they want? Yeah. Or do we try and do something different within the parameters, knowing that there's a core fan base that's then going to bitch and moan and give us a one-star review on IMDb? Okay. I like the idea of that, but it feels like, having not seen it, Feels like it can get very wankery very fast. Well, the first of the but once he enters the Matrix again, there is no spoiler though. You know he's going to enter the Matrix again, and he meets up with Jessica Hemwick. Mm. It becomes gobbledygook, 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 gobbledygook. Matrix speak again. Okay. So I kind of need to go back and rewatch that bit. Yeah. Well, and I would figure out. I wanted to rewatch the first three before I watch this one because the the first Matrix is genuinely a, good, a hugely culturally important, really good commentary action film i think empire said george lucas didn't see this phantom menace coming yeah which was an excellent review yeah but i remember enjoying the second one but again i don't think i've seen any of them for a good 15 years or so, so i watched I did... the matrix a couple of times like well, you know it's on tv a lot yeah but i've never really rewatched the sequels so i did want to rewatch them before this one right. I, 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 it's got a tacit recommendation remembering that I haven't seen the last half of the it's film. Had, it's had very divisive reviews, which, yeah. if anything, makes me want to see it more. Yeah, well, the, the, especially seeing as that's what the film's about for the first hour. Yeah. Are we giving them what they want, or are we going to try and challenge them with yeah. this sequel? So, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, my next present is off Adam, which was very nice. DC have been doing these 80 years of books, and so far, I can't see because of that. They've done <laughs> Green Lantern... Detective Comics, Action Comics, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. No, 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 not not that one yet. Okay. Um, Robin and the Joker. Okay. Those five are out so far. Um, Adam bought me Green Arrow, 80 Years of the Emerald Archer, which is, as you may expect, the Green Arrow version of this book featuring newly restored versions of the Rainbow Archer and the Green Arrow's mystery pupil. 
What do you mean? Re- newly restored? Newly brought, recolored, and oh, lights really? touched up and all that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, this is it's it's a good volume. I like it. I like that it's got text pieces in. I'm always a big fan of that. It's got a big text piece from uh, Mike Grell talking about why he revamped him in 1985, 86, whatever. Mike Gould does one. And the producer of the TV show, is that Greg Berlanti? Mm. Yeah, Greg Berlanti does one, talking about Arrow, the TV show. Matt Guggenheim does one, I'm not Batman, damn it. Which is funny, because the first two stories, you can literally just swap the name Green Arrow <laughs> for Batman, yeah. and Speedy for Robin, and it would work. Yeah. Because that's all it is. One of the things you've talked about when you flip through it is, again, with modern day collections, there's not a lot of single issue stories anymore. Mm. So once... One of the things that's interesting, right? There are only two, three, sorry, old stories. Yeah. 1941, 1958, 1959. And then it goes to 1971. Yeah. Implying there's not a lot of great Green Arrow content in between the 60s and the 70s. But anyway, and that's from the famous Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams run, which is where Speedy's a junker. We all know Major Tom's a junker. Yeah. Uh, And there's two of those. So the two-part story, Snowbirds Don't Fly, and they'll say it'll kill me, but they won't say when, which is really fun because Neil Adams' art's great, but my God, it's melodramatic. Yeah. Speedy's a junkie! (laughs) And it's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) You can just see him turn into camera waiting for the commercials. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. Uh, But then they include the first issue of The Longbow Hunters. Mm -hmm. Now, surely there was a better issue of Mike Grell's run that he may not have drawn for yeah. a play that you could have included there as one issue. Instead of one of four. Instead of the first issue of a yeah three or four part miniseries. Was it three or was it four? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But then you've got a two-parter from Chuck Dixon from Green Arrow 100 and 101, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But then you've got an issue, two issues of Grant Morrison's JLA. Yeah. JLA 8 and JLA 9. And it's like, so Green Arrow didn't have his own comic, did he not? I mean, they may be good stories. Do you remember them too? Yeah, uh, I think they're the one where Prometheus takes down the Justice League, so it's up to whoever Kid Green Arrow was then. Right. Because Prometheus doesn't have any data on him because he's not Green Arrow yet, so he's got to take him down. Okay, so maybe that's a worthy Green Arrow story. I don't know, I've not got that far yet. <clears throat> I've, re- I've read in this up to so far the Longbow Hunters part one, Yeah. which I still greatly enjoy. But then you've got... Chapter one of Quiver by Kevin Smith. Chapter one of what, a six-part story? Yeah. And then chapter two of The Archer's Tale by Brad Meltzer. Again. (laughs) (laughs) What? And then the conclusion to Jericho by Judd Winnick and Scott McDaniel. Oh, Scott McDaniel. Oh, that's nice. Hmm? Well, like, huh? (laughs) And then the conclusion to Dead Again by Judd Winnick. Yeah. And it seems like you're getting an awful lot of parts. parts of stories. I feel like that would be fine if there was a text piece or... Well, there may be. Like, just kind of explain in the context. Right? Like they did with the Morrison yeah. uh, Batman omnibuses. Like, here's some pictures and an explanation of what happened. Yeah. So maybe they do as you go along, I don't know. But then it's Secret Origins Green Arrow by Jeff Lamar and Dennis Cowan, which was nice. Uh, Blood Descent Arrow Season 2.5 Number 1. I presume that ties into the TV show. Yeah. And then Rebirth from Green Arrow, Rebirth number one, which is fine. But entire the entire midsection of this book is parts of longer stories. Mm. And I'm like, that's great if they stand alone when you're reading them. Yeah. But I'm not sure that they're going to. But other than that, it's a nice addition to the, the canon. Um, 
of the other. I'll let you know because I thought right. We bought Detective Comics and Action Comics. Yeah. I honestly thought <clears throat> Robin and the Joker ones ended up being better representations of Batman than the Batman one. Than the Detective Comics one. Yeah. But then as you pointed out, it's not been representative of Batman, it's been representative <laughs> of Detective Comics. Yeah. Which is a valid point. So fair play. So that was my next thing that I did get. What about you? Uh this one was from you. Yes. This is Oh no, me and Mum. Oh yeah. So this is <laughs> The hardback version of a novel, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. So this was, I think, one of the surprise books that we'd both read yeah. that was solidly better than it deserved to be. But so was the film. Well, it's it's my favourite Tarantino film. I know it's uh, my favourite, but it, I've watched it three times. Yeah, I have watched it a lot and I enjoy it more and more. It's my Yeah, despite it being like three hours long, yeah. it... Uh, but... Unlike other visionary filmmakers, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood doesn't feel three hours long. So, yeah, I think I was very... And then you can spend an hour cleaning up and you... <laughs> you know, still have that hour of your life. I'm just saying, again, just say stop it. So Tarantino wrote the novelization of the film, yeah. which reads like the film is an adaptation of the novel. Yes. But again, it's surprisingly great read. Yeah. By no means... Is he a good writer? And not a good novelist. But he's a captivating one. Yes. And it's a great tour through it. I did. It's a and we were texting each other what chapter you're up to. Yeah. Because I said to you, right, have you got to page whatever? It was like 50 or something. And yeah. you said, no, not yet. I'm just before that. And I said, he ends the film yeah. on page 50 on the a, book. As a throwaway yeah, it's a paragraph. throwaway line. <laughs> so you're reading the rest of it going, well, how's he going to end the book then? Yeah. Yeah, so, but it's just this, it was just a, a cheap little pulpy paperback. But then, as soon as you finish the cheap little pulpy <laughs> yeah. paperback, there is an You've advert. God, who admire the balls of that. <laughs> there is an advert for the coming soon, yeah. the hardback version. You've got to admire the balls of someone who lets you buy a paperback. To get to the last page to go, oh, by the way, buy my hardback. book you've just bought, you can buy it again in hardcover with more stuff. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the new hardback, which is quite a bigger book as well. Yeah. Uh, it's got a brand new painted cover. Very nice. Of the scene where he drives... Of somebody's feet, Mar- it's Tarantino. Uh, he drives Margaret Qualley back to the ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this includes a nice little photo section. Yeah, some photos. Uh, nice. From behind the scenes and such. Then it has uh, the script for, what show is it? Bounty Law. Bounty Law, that's Leonardo it. Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio's fictional TV show within a TV show, clearly based on Wanted Dead or Alive, which starred Steve McQueen. Right, okay. Did uh, you not know that? I did not. All right. And then we uh, get some of the painted covers for his the films. films that he may have been in. That was my favourite thing about the book, that they didn't really go into much in the film. Yeah. The other stuff he does in between the hiatus of the TV show. Yeah. So he's in... Films that really exist. Yeah. But he replaces somebody. Yeah. So in the... Is it true you nearly got the Steve McQueen role? Yeah. So in the TV pilot he's filming... Yeah. ...is for a show that actually exists. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But his role in real life is played by Joe Don Baker. Okay. But the show is real and Timothy Oliphant plays the real actor... Yeah, yeah. ...who was the real lead of that show. Yeah. And there's all kinds of shit in there. My favourite bit was there's a Pete Duel bit. Because I love Alias Smith and Jones. Yeah. And he's in a film with Pete Doole. And it's tacitly implied that Pete Doole's alcoholism and depression, yeah. which led to Pete Doole shooting himself, 
causes Leonardo DiCaprio's character to clean himself up so the same thing doesn't happen to him. Yeah. I thought that was really... Okay. I thought that was quite sweet. Mm. That, like, that death was not in vain. Yeah. He cleaned himself up. Well, there is... So, Tarantino has a three-book deal. Oh, does he? One of which is the paperback. Yeah. One of which is the hardback. Oh, that's cheating! I want to novelise the whole bloody affair for Kill Bill. Well, and then the third one is the entire life uh, well, and career of Rick Dalton. He's done a fictional... Bi- oh, you've told me this before. Yeah. He's done a fictional biography. I, I don't know necessarily if it's a biography as it is biographical. Yeah. But yeah, his third book is The Life and Films of Rick Dalton. See, in a perfect world, right? Yeah. Where Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt were massive movie stars. <laughs> yeah. We would have a Rick Dalton TV show. Yeah. There isn't Bounty Law. Yeah. That is behind the scenes of Bounty Law in his career through the 70s. I want more Cliff Booth. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? We talked about this as well in the text. The film is about Dalton. The book is about Cliff Booth. Yeah. I think the the film also has Thingy, Sharon Tate. Yes, there's more and Sharon that's Tate. In why the book. I think <clears throat> the ending of the film is a throwaway in the book because yeah. it's not about her as much. Yeah, no, so, that's true. Uh, but yeah, so so Cliff Booth gets way more in the book and ends up being a more dislikable but a but more likable character. Yeah, yeah. He's outright more of a murderous scumbag, yes. but is also more likable. But see, the thing of that is as well in the film, you've got Brad Pitt. It was yeah. effortlessly charming. Yeah. So even if he was playing a murderous scumbag, <laughs> it's still Brad Pitt. Well, I still read the book as they were the actors. And well, you can't help that. Narrating it was Kurt Russell. Yes. In my head. Yeah, that's no, fair enough. Because he does so, some narration in the film. Yeah, so that worked. And it still worked. Any other characters not in the film, I just had a Tarantino-esque stand-in. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Tim Roth popped in my head at some point. Tim Roth should have been in the film. His scene was cut out. All right, okay. Because it actually says in the end credits, Tim special Roth. thanks to Tim Roth. Sorry. <laughs> it says something like that. Yeah. It genuinely says, I cut your bit, mate. Sorry about but yeah, that. I had a lot of fun reading the book as if it was still the actors. Yeah. And it, it still reads really well that way, especially yeah. they go drinking in the second to last chapter and Timothy Oliphant comes with. Yes, so he like, does. I have a great little bit in my head where... Uh, him, them two, and Timothy Oliphant are all drinking together. Raylan Givens. Is <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. of course, you've got to read him as Raylan Givens as well. But that's who he's playing. Exa- yeah. Because that's who he's playing in The Mandalorian. Yeah. He's playing Raylan Givens, but in Star Wars. Space Raylan Givens. Yeah. Yeah. And that just made it 100% better. I want more of that. Space Raylan Givens. Spin off Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. I want. I want Raylan Givens. The Book of Space Raylan yes. Givens. <laughs> I would so be down for that. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you get the creative team behind Justified to do it. Or it's just like, what's his face? Um, Boyd is in it as well. Yeah. But, uh, oh, we need Walton Goggins. <laughs> yeah, Walton Goggins. Just space Walton Goggins. <laughs> Justified in there Star Wars. There is no body putting space in front of something when you're yeah. talking about Star Wars. It's like a, it's like a space western. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is space Walton Goggins. <laughs> yeah, back when we used to work in the space mines. Yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah, but what else? There's a brilliant bit at the end of this. Yeah, so we get a, a, a Mad Magazine, Mad Magazine parody. parody of Bounty Law. <laughs> and it's brilliant. And then, uh, yeah, that's it, actually, yeah. It's it's great. I really liked the, the back end of this book, so much I'm, so that your mum made me wrap it up before I could read any of it, because then it would be <laughs> second hand. I'm not entirely certain 
the new additions justify an extra hardback release counting as the second and no, a three book contract. No, I think that's cheating. But here we are. It's another excuse to read it at some point and then watch the film yeah, again at I some would, point. I may read it and watch the film again because I, I genuinely... I don't know it's my fair. I still have a soft spot for the Kill Bill duo. Mm. And he keeps talking about now that Uma Thurman's daughter yeah. is old enough to play Beatrice's daughter because okay. she's in Stranger Things. And right. she's in this. Okay. Beatrice, Una Thurman's, Uma Thurman's daughter is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's one of Charlie Manson's girls. Right, okay. Um, and you only recognise her because she's in Stranger Things. Right. And she also gets killed off in that trilogy of philosophical novels by Ulan Kaluta. By that trilogy <laughs> of R.L. Stein horror films that recently came on yeah. Netflix. Okay. Fear she's, Street. Yeah, she's the girl who gets killed at the very beginning. Right, So okay. she's the star that gets knifed at the beginning. Right. And he keeps talking about the fact of bring her and Uma Thurman in because they're genuinely mother and daughter. Yeah. And doing the Kill Bill 3 that, to be fair to him, he has been talking about since Kill Bill 2 came out. Yeah. He's always had this idea of doing a sequel 20 years down the line. But he's kind of iffy now because he's like, he's realised he's made the mistake of saying, I'm only going to make 10 films or whatever he said. Yeah. And he's like, but if I do a sequel to Kill Bill, that's one of my films. Yeah. And I'm well, like, why doesn't he now just say, nah, screw that, I'm going to make as many as I want. He's still working on his Star Trek, isn't he, as well? I don't believe he's working on Star Trek, no. I think that's gone away. Okay. But if that was one of his three book deals, his <laughs> Star Trek, I would be over though. Because my honest opinion is it could not be worse than what Star Trek is currently putting out. I also think it's more believable now that we've got the incredibly bright, happy and optimistic Once Upon a Time yeah. than it was back when he was talking about it. Yeah. I don't think the same Tarantino of 10 years ago would do as good a Star Trek as he could now. I think the thing with Tarantino is he has become a genuine visionary filmmaker in that he, he's grown and yeah. developed and he's, there's a maturity to his films now that wasn't there for Reservoir Dogs. It's why I, I honestly think you can say I like Reservoir Dogs the best, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's his best film anymore. No. Okay, so that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And there wasn't a 90-minute gap in recording, though. That was a seamless <laughs> transition. Uh, did you, you just went then, didn't you? Yes. All right, so it's my turn next. Oh, look. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Where did that come it's from? It's a present that was not here when we started recording. I wish this was video so we could have just made that appear. But has beamed in <laughs> as if by magic from the heavens. The heavens known as my mother and father who just literally visited us in the middle of recording. And this is a book. And it's not got pictures in or anything. It's a, oh, an actual book? Yeah, it's an actual book. Oh, those are and it is called All of the Marvels. An amazing voyage into the Marvel Universe's uh, 27,000 superhero comics by Douglas Walk. And apparently what he's done is read every single Marvel comic and made it into some kind of cohesive narrative and talked about it as... um. A political tract or something. All right, okay, so it's not like an in-context history, it's an out-of-context overview. I, th- I think so, yeah. A critic cum... They really shouldn't have spelled cum like that. <laughs> <coughs> Super fan takes on all the superhero epic to end all epics when he finds is a magic mirror of the past 60 years from the atomic terrors of the Cold War to the political divides of our present. Walk teases out Marvel's mixture of progressive vision and painful stereotypes, its regrettable moments as well as its flights of luminous creativity. What regrettable moments? Ah, come on. 
It's all part of Marvel's rich tapestry, dude. <laughs> so I can't really say anything else about this because I have literally just opened it. But I am very much looking forward to reading it. Mm -hmm. All of the Marvels. Very good, very nice. So I put that down in there like that. Here you have become a professional northerner. <laughs> I'll change my name, Paddy McGinnis, right? Like the unprofessional... Actually, yeah, okay. <laughs> As opposed to an unprofessional <laughs> northerner. Which is what I spent five years doing on this triple. Yeah. <laughs> you next. So, my next one. Uh, this one's off Dana. Cool. And this one wasn't a surprise because I specifically asked for it. Because it's one of those where it came out to no real advertising or anything. Yeah, it just dropped out. It, it just dropped out, yeah. And uh, it's just. Do you think that's. Well, I'll let you say what it is first. But uh, <laughs> it was just one of those, like many things were it wasn't expensive but it was uh, that that annoying amount of money it's like i can't really justify buying myself this so christmas is around the corner uh but it is wonder woman earth one volume three the final of the morrison Paquette trilogy it's it, one of them things right it's not expensive but it's not cheap. inexpensive yeah, yeah, yeah. for what you think it is yeah which is essential. I mean, I don't know how many pages. Are they 80 pages? Something like that. I mean, you think you used to get 80-page giants for a dollar. Yeah. And this is $3. One of one of my worst things about being an adult now with the responsibilities is going... Sucks, doesn't it? Can I justify spending 25 quid on a, uh, on a graphic novel? See, mine is That's always... A shop. Can I justify <clears throat> spending this much money on me yeah. when I have a yeah. family to look after? So, I mean, I've only read Batman Earth 1... And Superman. Superman and Volumes 1, 2 and 3 and Green Lantern. Yeah. Uh, and I read your Wonder Woman. Yeah. I read the first volume of Wonder Woman, which I quite enjoyed. Hmm. But I well, haven't read Volume 2. I'm looking forward to this because the first one was a done-in-one and the second one definitely reads like it's setting up this one. Right. So. And is, is this it for all of them? For the Wonder Woman ones? No, for know. all of them. Is, is that it? See, Superman, I have no Batman. idea. Now that Didio's left... And Straczynski's... Is he yeah. going to come back, do you think, to do Superman? Because it was in the History of the New 52 article that we both read. Mm. And an interview with Dan DiDio, where this was essentially his baby. Um, yeah, and he's gone now. But now that he's gone, yeah, I do wonder if there'll be any more Earth Ones. Because even Batman Volume 3 by Jeff Johns came out to no fanfare. Yeah, they just kind of crapped him out, didn't they? Yeah. And it's like the Superman ones are the only ones that were maintaining any kind of reasonable schedule. Yeah. <clears throat> but even that was because they, they got rid of the artist <clears throat> and got a different artist in. Didn't Shit and Davis draw the first two? He drew the first one and then vamp, bits of vamp the second vomit, one. Vamp uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that he drew bits of the second one but had fill-in artists right. to help as well. Right, did the second. The Adrian Sayeth. Yeah. Well vamped <clears throat> did the third one. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, and they came out on some kind of reasonable schedule, didn't they? Surprisingly, considering it's Straczynski. And then, but he had his falling out with DC. Right. Overgrounded, was it? Yeah, which he ditched halfway through. Yeah, and somebody else took over and did a better job. <laughs> Whisper it. And, um, we've already covered that. I'm pretty yeah, sure we said that already. We, we, yeah, I'm pretty sure we've, we've been slanderous. <laughs> <laughs> We're never slanderous. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so I, I think this is it. I think that's why it's come out to no fanfare. Yeah. I think it's a case of contractually they were obliged to publish the three of them mm -hmm. for each one. They have now done that. They'll move on. Yeah. 
And it's a shame, really, because Straczynski's take on Superman in the Earth One graphic novels was infinitely better than his take on Superman in his run on Superman. Yeah. And it was an interesting re proper update mm. of Superman. Yeah. And he really should have got a writer's credit on the Man of Steel movie. Yeah. Because they ripped so much off from that, that boot, didn't they? Mm. Uh, and then I thought the Superman one was interesting. I thought the Batman one was interesting, but Jeff John writes everyone as a tool. I enjoyed it from what I remember. I've not read it for a while. I I've thought you were going to read all three while you were on for Christmas. I might have done. Uh, I've got a lot to read. Mm. Uh, I think I read... They won't tell you long. I read the first two when the second one came out, and then I haven't read the third one. Well, the third one came out this past summer, didn't it? Yeah, so I've not read it in a while. Right. But these these Wonder Woman ones have been a lot, a lot of fun, because Morrison gets Wonder Woman, and Paquette's art is just great throughout. Um, mm. Well, did you see Did you see Grant <coughs> Morrison's recent interview... In true Grant Morrison fashion, right on a little seen YouTube channel by a young fan. Oh yeah, not on a big media conglomerate. Morrison gave an interview yeah. to this young fan on a little seen YouTube channel, yeah. which is such a Grant Morrison thing to do. Yes, and he was talking about his new Fifty Two run on Superman came about because of Dan DiDio's magnificent idea of what they were going to do with Superman in the new Fifty Two. Mm. Did you see all of that? No. Dan DiDio wanted to make him an ultra-right-wing news pundit and make the Daily Planet that kind of Fox News type thing. Right. And the knock-on effect was Superman was that kind of hero. Okay. And Grant Morrison was, like, horrified. Yeah. And said, okay, Dan, I'll write action comics. He didn't really want to. Right. Because he felt he'd said his Superman piece with All-Star Superman. Why Superman is so left-wing working. Probably. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's because Grant Morrison's like, I think he feels he can probably speak a little bit now. He's like, how can you run that company and not understand the character that is the back of your company? Not only to do that, but to make them so completely wrong that you've turned Superman into Alex Jones. Yes. I mean, it's a take. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know. It's something. It's it's certainly something, yes. But Didio's gone now. He is gone. And, um, but who isn't gone after 80 years? Wonder Woman. <laughs> it's like you set that up. I did. Because Adam, I only asked for one book off Adam, yeah. which was the Green Arrow, 80th anniversary of the Emerald Archer. But he also bought me the Wonder Woman, 80 years of the Amazon Warrior uh, um, <laughs> collection. Because she's been an Amazon warrior for 80 years. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't even know this one existed mm. until I saw it in Manchester with you a week or so before Christmas. Yeah. So I don't know how Adam knew about this. Did you tell him? No, because we were yeah. talking about it yesterday. Because um, we've discussed in the past the difference between the 80th anniversary ones and the 70th anniversary yeah, ones. Yeah. So Adam's got a 70th anniversary. Have you got him the little black ones? They won't go with these set. They're out of date now. No one gets those anymore. So, really? Oh, it's, it's the white ones. That, that's fine then. Uh, okay. okay. Right, because I didn't even know this one existed. Because as we've pointed out on Hair Kids Comics before, lovely listener, as a child, I didn't read Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman was a girl's comic. <laughs> now, I know we're not allowed to say that anymore. But when I was little, there yeah. were girls' comics yeah. and boys' comics. Uh, yeah. Girls Red Bunty <laughs> right. and Woman Magazine, clue okay. was in the title. 
And Med Red Commando. Who read Lois Lane comics then? Because that's that's straddling the that's line. That's straddling though. a line there. Yeah. And I always think that was kind of acceptable because Lois Lane was a tenacious journalist, and there was always the possibility Superman would make an appearance. Okay. Nowadays, I'm all over a Lois Lane comic. <laughs> yeah. I love a Lois Lane comic. I love it because they actually portray her as a proper journalist. Yeah. Nowadays, as opposed to I must expose Superman's secret identity, and you're just sat there going, "How does this pay your bills?" <laughs> But anyway, but yeah, so they've done a comics history, the 80th anniversary of Wonder Woman. This one will be quite interesting to me, because mm. as I said, I didn't read Wonder Woman growing up, and to this day I've still only read like the first half of George Perez's run, yeah, and the John Byrne run, mm. and that's it. That's it. Well, I've, we were discussing... Oh, and Wonder Woman Earth 1, Volume 1. <laughs> yeah, we were discussing the, the, the DC colours books of Batman Black and White yeah, yeah. Superman Red and Blue and then Wonder Woman Black and Gold or whatever it's called and that's actually been one of my favourites and I've ended up enjoying more Wonder Woman comics surprisingly this year yeah. that's kind of made me want to go back and read more so what they're doing at the moment with Nubia and Wonder Girl and how that's all crossing over just going to pick up all the trades because I've really enjoyed what they've done with Wonder Woman recently. Yeah, that's fair enough. There's a there's a there's a hella amount of talent in conversation with Gal Gadot in this in this Ooh, movie. Yeah. Great. There's a as long as she doesn't sing Imagine, as, we'll be gold. As long as she doesn't you know say anything political. <laughs> I was just going down the Imagine route, but you you go wherever you want. If she's going to be open with her comments, then I uh, might as well be as that's, well. That's fair enough. So it publishes introducing Wonder Woman from 1941, which I presume is her first appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wonder Woman Comes to America from 42, Battle for Womanhood from 1943. I could be wrong, but there may be some feminist subtext to this strip that's been there from the beginning. <laughs> but if you do it nowadays, it's wokeness gone mad. This feminist agenda no. in my 40s Wonder Woman comic. <laughs> um, I mean, she's doing better than Green Arrow. There's another 1940 story, The Cheetah Returned. Um, another one from 69 was originally written and drawn in 1940s, but unpublished. Ooh, so there's mm-hmm. another one from the 40s. Then it skips to the 50s for zero hour for an Amazon, the million dollar penny, and then into the 60s. And there's some good talent involved here. William Milton Marston, obviously, who created the character, writes a couple of these. And then you've got Robert Kaniger, who was war comics Robert Kaniger. Okay. He was writing Sergeant Rock, dude. Su- How can I say these were girls' <laughs> comics, man? I mean, I suppose Wonder Woman was on the same level as Superman during the war. Yeah. Ross Andrew did some of the <clears> art, so that's that's a good thing. Didn't get Giordano. Sam Delaney. Sam Delaney's like your proper sci-fi author, man. <laughs> God, I was stupid as a kid. Uh, yeah. Wasn't it? Girls comics. Girls comics. Poor Samuel Delaney. Carrie Bates is writing a couple. Roy Thomas, Gene Colon, George Perez. I've probably read that one before. Conversation with Gal Gadot. Conversation with Linda Carter. Uh, and then you're into the 90s, are well represented. Presented, I don't know if that's a word. Phil Jimenez, William Mesner Lobes, Alan Heinberg, who's um doesn't he write for the OC? Did he create the OC? Alright, okay. I wanna say. Because the Seth was a big comics fan, wasn't he? Right. So there must have been somebody on that creative staff. Yeah. Who was a comics fan. Amanda Connor, oh good. I like Amanda Connor. Uh, Brian Azarello. And then you've got Mariko Tamaki. Okay. Are you aware of that name? I am. Excellent. Good. And Greg Rucker and Nicholas Scott. Yep. Another good good purring. Becky Cloonan. So there's, and then in conversation with Patty Jenkins and um, there's somebody else as well. Trina Robbins. So there's some good pedigree in this book. Mm. And obviously, of all of them, this is the one where I am least likely to have read any of these stories unless, you know, there is some George Perez stuff in it. There's no John Byrne stuff in it. So, you know... That looks quite promising. Yeah. As a as a collection. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Although there are people 
who were slavishly devoted to a visionary filmmaker who claimed that the Wonder Woman movies are not canon. Oh, really? Uh, within oh, the course, visionary yeah. filmmaker's particular oeuvre. Yeah, because they add colour in them. Yeah, and also she doesn't go around lopping people's heads off. But that book says she was always an Amazon warrior. So. Uh, yeah. It is what it is. It is. It? And what it is isn't very good. <laughs> you said that, not I. Go on. So my next one, I think, is my final one from you. Yes. Uh, it's Godzilla World of Monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if I'm correct... And uh, you always are. Even if I'm not wrong. Even if I'm not right. I... <laughs> even if I'm not right, I'm right. Some people have a way with words. With me, with me. Others have not way. Yes. So, <laughs> Very good. Uh, Dark Horse uh, printed the Gods of the Comics for years and years and years. Did it? And then IDW bought them out. Right. So or IDW got the rights. Yeah, so IDW now have the rights. And there was a lot of Dark Horse uh, miniseries, one-shots, uh, that were printed, but really, really cheap. Um, and then they just were discontinued. Yeah. Can't really get them. So now that IDW have the rights to them, uh, they've been printing, uh, recollecting those trades yeah. in big, bulky, but very, very cheap uh, trades just to kind of get them all out there, I guess. Um, so I think this is the first one. The second one's just come out all right. that features Godzilla in Hell with James Stoker on board. Uh, I do but- like James Stoker. But this one, because I don't really know much about these, because I was thinking of getting them, but um, apart from Half Century War, they're not really that well-liked. They're just there. Hmm. So I'm kind of interested to read them. But this one includes... It doesn't say anywhere. Oh, Gangsters and Goliaths. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Cataclysm and Oblivion. So in Cataclysm... Does Godzilla stomping on Gotham City cause the earthquake that caused the Batman story Cataclysm? Yes. Does it? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and then after that I love a good God- crossover. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it also, so Godzilla History's Great Monster, Half Century War, Complete Rules of the F112, Kingdom Monsters, and Unnatural Disasters. Right. So yeah, it's kind of like... Um, do you know how Marvel over here have the really cheap paperbacks you'll see in Waterstones with like yeah. the black or grit they're kind of like these they just are recollecting the out of print trades right. just in one book in one big fat omnibus so yeah I think of these type there's only like a couple of them but I'm kind of interested in reading them because they've, they've not they're kind of like the bill from what I've read of them no one really likes them that much but they're just kind of there but I like Godzilla <laughs> I've always got what you meant that the old police TV show, The Bill. Yeah. Like, it's on every week. We don't really watch it, for, but for, yeah, for... must be watching it, because it's been on for 30 years. Exactly, yeah. I don't think it's on anymore. I don't think so either. But yeah, I'm kind of interested in reading this. All right, okay. Well, that, uh, now it can be told. That's the blurb on the cover of the issue. Okay. I only got you that to fill up the quota that I'd spent the same on you as everyone that, else. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking through your wish list. Yours and Dana's wish list this year was... Fucking useless. Not available yet. Not available yet. Out of print. Well, that's weird. Out of print. Because I looked at it and none of that was a thing when I looked at it. Everything I wanted to buy you was. So I basically settled on that only because it was A, at the top of the list, so it was the most recent thing you'd put on. Right. And B, the price fitting with what I needed to spend (laughs) to make sure you were all equal. Because that's the way we have to work when you've got three children. All right. So should I do that one or that one? And save that one. 
I, 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 it's up to you. It doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't, though. All right, okay. Well, we'll do that one, and then we'll do this one. Okay. Okay. Audio medium. <laughs> <clears throat> right. Amazing Spider-Man Omnibus, Volume 5. Mm. Which is very exciting for me, personally, because it's Spider-Man. Which covers... Issues 143 to 180, Annual 10 and 11, and Nova 12. Now, when, excuse me, when I got this, you said, that's a thin omnibus. I did. Considering how much is in it as well. It's got more issues than the lead it colon. Right. Which is three times the width of this. Maybe they just have thinner paper now. They have much thinner paper. Ah. If you dig out the lead it colon, the first print, the paper is of a much higher quality and better stock. But now that they're in the less important runs. Yeah, they don't care. Well, they've reprinted the Lee Ditko one on this paper as well. Oh, right, okay. So the, the new, I say new, the most recent printing is only half the size of mine. Maybe it wasn't cost-effective for them to do such thick paper. Possibly not, but also I can't replace mine. Of course. Because mine is signed by Stan, the man. Yes. Uh, this is pretty much the end of Jerry Conway's run from the Clone Saga, the original Clone Saga, uh, all the way through Len Wein's run. So the next volume, should there be a next volume, will be taking us into the 1980s. Okay. And Marv Wolfman and Roger Stern's run. Do you think they now, will carry on? I think they will, but I don't think it'll be for a while because the Masterworks have only just released the first Roger Stern collection. And the omnibuses are behind them. Yeah. Okay. Now, the om- this omnibus ends at issue 180. That collection of Roger Stern is around 230. Right. Because it's got the Juggernaut story in. So really... The next omnibus, if it has the same amount of issues in, would take you to the beginning of the Roger Stern run, wouldn't it? Mm. If this is 180, so 20 issues would take you to 200. 210 is roughly where Marv Wolfman leaves. Yeah. And then it's a bit of fill-in, and then Roger Stern comes on board. So I don't think there's going to be a volume six of this okay. for a while, because the masterworks are obviously yeah need to, to keep ahead. But you know what's really irritating about this, Michael? Do you know what really pisses me off about this, Mike? I know, because I complain about these things every time I've come and visit. Do you know what really sticks in my... What <laughs> grinds my gears? For Volume 5 of the Amazing Spider-Man Marvel Omnibus, Volume 5, they've changed the fucking trade dress. I can't begin to describe to you how much of a, A, third world problem this is. First world problem. <laughs> oh, I, I I love trade dress, so. But second, how much that annoys me. Well, the omnibuses are weird for that. So if we, we have a look, we turn our heads. Yes. So the Fantastic Four one, volume one, has a completely different trade dress. It was the first one. I'm willing to cut them some slack. Okay. I do think what they should do in that situation is allow proof of purchase... To have a different... You are allowed another sleeve. Okay. But then we've got some of them, and some of them don't have the uh, text. They have the logo yep. instead. So World War Hulk, for example. has uh, And Thor yep. has the Hulk and Thor instead of just saying... Da, 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 da. Yeah, it just has a picture at the bottom. And then, volume but some of them have a picture at the bottom and then some of them don't. Yeah. So And then we look as well at the Hulk, just purely on the Hulk. Yeah. So Incredible Hulk Volume 1 has a proper, what we consider the proper trade dress. Yes. Because there was never a Volume 2. Because by all accounts, that is the worst selling of the omnibuses. Really? The Hulk one. Yeah. Okay. That's why they never carried on with it. Well, they did release World War Hulk, Planet Hulk and Dogs of War right. as omnibuses. 
World War Hulk and Planet Hulk kind of follow the tradition. It's got the Marvel Omnibus logo at the top with the white Marvel and the red background. Yep. Picture at the bottom because there's no volume two. Yep. So that's okay. The Dogs of War Omnibus does not have that trade. <laughs> the Dogs of War Omnibus just has Marvel down the side. It's not say Marvel <laughs> Omnibus. It is not the same way, the same way round yep. as the other Omnibuses. So that is quite irritating <laughs> in and of itself. But the Spider-Man one is particularly irritated because volume five does not fit in with the first volumes in anywhere. There's now a little picture at the bottom. That yeah. wasn't there before. But it's not even a little picture at the bottom. Like the others have a little picture. It's just a little panel that yeah. goes across. Well, the others, because they're omnibus collections, knowing there are volumes, doesn't have a picture at the bottom. Yeah. So that's even more irritating. But what is especially irritating, right, <laughs> is on the underside of the flip jacket the dust jacket why could they not print this yeah like the doctor who dvds do with the same layout as the other ones so if you want that new trade dress that's fine yeah that's good but you can flip it <laughs> so it matches your others if that's what you want Ooh, you don't want a reversible dust jacket yeah, that's what they do on the doctor who dvds oh but that's a sleeve not a dust jacket well it's the same thing right not really. It doesn't fold the same well, way. Well, I would make it fold the same way. <laughs> but what they've done... Right. <laughs> they have reprinted some of the other omnibuses with this new trade dress. So you've got to go back and rebuy those books. So here's the thing, right? Okay. If you've bought Volume 5, now you've gone back and bought the reprints of Volume 2 or Volume 1 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Do you think they're ever going to reprint Volumes 3 and 4? No. Because as you've pointed out, you're now into the era no one gives a shit about. Yeah. I don't think they will. So even if you buy the new trade dress of the reprints, because the Ditko ones are always going to stay in print, yeah, yeah, right, and the later ones, you're going to end up with a midsection that does not have the right <laughs> trade dress. And I cannot begin to tell you how much this irritates me on every conceivable level. It just does. Now I love that I, that this exists. Yeah, I love that they are continuing to do these in nice little, if not affordable anymore collections because when these started they were like 60 quid okay yeah. so you could go on pre-orders from oh. your comic shop and knock a good 20 quid off have they gone the way of the absolute oh these are now 110 pounds okay you can get them for significantly cheaper if you pre-order like on amazon but i hate using amazon yes for obvious reasons even with cheaper paper yeah okay and all the omnibus now are within the 80 to 110 pound region yeah and that's a ridiculous amount of money for a bunch of reprints mm. and you think now, on the one hand, Marvel is very, very good at having stuff out there across the range of price points. Yeah. So you've got these at the high end, the Masterworks at the high end, the Tashin and Folio Society editions yeah. at the very high end. At the lower end, they've just reprinted the Marvel Masterworks in a smaller size okay. at a much more affordable price point. Because, <laughs> go with me here, it's like Marvel want you to read your, their stuff. <laughs> I don't know any other companies that we could mention that don't perhaps do that. But it does irritate me that the trade dress has changed. But this has some great issues in it. Well, that's it. They want you to read those stuff, but at what cost? <laughs> a lot of cost. <laughs> um, this was great. This was off Angela. This was uh, I, this was the present I wanted more than anything. But I got all the stuff as well, so that's nice. Um, and it's the Len Wein run may provoke me into covering the Len Wein one on um, on Palace of Blush and Delights. Because I've done all the Stanley stuff. Okay. And I am stroking and smelling my book. Because <laughs> new books are lovely. Yeah. Sort it out, Marvel. <laughs> In case someone from Marvel is listening to this. <laughs> I would love the idea that Tom Brave listens to this. <laughs> uh, 
that just, that just appeals me. Tom Braveheart's, you know. Just listening Making to notes. <laughs> Change trade dress. Offer, flip, trade dress, unless covers. Unless he listens to us and he specifically changes the trade dress just to piss just you Just to off. annoy just, me. Yeah. Now, guys, 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 there's, there's this bloke somewhere in, like, the UK, right? There's this northern chance. He's, he's a fan of these trade dresses. So Let's why we, fuck him up. Why don't we just mix it up a little? But, Tom, we, we want to keep it uniform. Uh, you want to keep your job, don't you? Right, before we both go into our last one, is there any other bits and pieces? Like, I got a couple of T-shirts. I got yep. a Batman yeah. 1989 <laughs> T-shirt. This, this emblem, mm-hmm. this bat emblem everywhere. In the summer of 89. Michael yeah. Keaton's bat emblem. And we saw this in Primark. I didn't know your mum had bought it. Now. <laughs> but I have a 1989 facsimile Batman t-shirt. Is it simile also... or facsimile? Whatever. And I also got a pair of earbuds. Because my okay. headphones have died on my phone. Okay. So, so, so that's other stuff. Uh, I have a couple of t-shirts. One of them is Clint Booth's shirt in Once Upon a Time from Dana's dad. Uh, it's a large, so I'm not going to look like Brad Pitt in it. <laughs> That's the only thing stopping say, me from looking like Brad Pitt. Just donning that t-shirt will make you look like Brad Pitt, will it? It's why, <laughs> walking out of La La Land, I decided to buy suit trousers to look like Ryan Gosling. Because he is he's literally me. Did he work? Because you had his jacket as well from Drive. I, I, I didn't. I was never that much of a twat. Oh, okay. I, speaking there. of which, though, I almost bought you Driven. Okay. The novel the, sequel to Drive. I did read the novel for it. Um... That was years ago. I read it on the way to China, I think. All the way to New York. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then I also have uh, there's a little store in the Arndell called Kenji, which is all your cute little weeby stuff. Uh, and we saw weeby. in the little t-shirt section a very unofficial, unlicensed Godzilla t-shirt. It had to be yours. But it's a monster, and every body part is a different monster from the Showa era. So one of his feet is Megalon, the other's Gigan, his head's Mechagodzilla. You didn't realise Luke Giacanetti's going, oh, need. <laughs> um, so we made sure to pick that up because apparently it's all sold out now right. before Toho come down with the, the lawsuits. <laughs> come down with Godzilla's foot. <laughs> <laughs> Are they like Disney? Are they particularly litigious? I, they're not like that. Like I don't think they'll sue you. They just won't let you have the rights to something. Yeah, okay. Apparently, when it came to King of the Monsters, they had to argue over which monsters they could and couldn't have. Right. Uh, and then also, I have the Majora's Mask from Adam uh, from the Legend of Zelda game of the same name, Funny. which is the mask and i don't know where i'm gonna put it it's a very thoughtful gift but uh i need you, to ma- i need to make some room it. for it I ca- no you can't wear it because then it, it takes over you makes you evil have you seen my mask it's very it's sentient it's, uh turns everybody dead <laughs> i think that's it apart from the final one there is we, we both have two final ones so before we go we've got to remember we are actually a comics podcast <laughs> So we do need to talk about comics just to... We've done some talking about comics. To fit the quota. Yeah, yeah, just to tick a box. Yeah. Uh, what have you been... What have you read this year? I feel like I've not read anything, despite my pile filling up. Uh, finished off The Immortal Hulk. Oh, yeah. I've not finished that yet. Which I enjoyed. I feel like it slowed down. I feel like they were kind of hitting the brakes a bit just to get to 50 issues. Right. So they could make the big one a big final 50th issue... Yeah. and it's a nice finale uh, quiet but it's really nice so I really enjoyed all of that um, again I read the DC Colors books was Death Metal this year? no idea, I think so that was wank <laughs> uh, 
Tom Brabant sat it all good. Hey! <laughs> so I don't know what else I've been reading. Um, James Stokoe started his new miniseries, but that seems to be released when he finishes doing an issue. Which is fair enough. So I think I've got three of those. That it? Yeah, Wonder Woman Historia finally came out. That was really nice. Got to wait a few more months for the next one. Uh, Catwoman, Lonely City, the first issue, that's really good. Right. Are they Black Label stuff? They are. Right. Okay. Uh, see, I'm struggling. Mostly I've just gone back and done old stuff. I got Bruce Jones's Run on Hulk, which I love. Yeah. Paul Jenkinson's Run on Spider-Man I reread this year. J. Michael Straczynski's Run on Spider-Man I reread this year. Uh, I've just done loads of stuff like that. New wise, I still follow Amazing Spider-Man, though I sometimes wonder why. <laughs> I dropped it. I don't blame you. Uh, Nick Spencer's entire run, which started off so promisingly, mm. actually degenerated into, yeah, uh, my big chance to write Spider-Man and all I'm going to do is undo Sin's past and kill Harry Osborn again. And you're like, really? There are, there are worse reasons to want to write Spider-Man. Well, I guess. So the new run by the Brain Trust again, because that works so well for Brand New Day. <laughs> Uh, has gone back to being three times a month. Right. And they're telling a story whereby Peter Parker is in a coma and Ben Riley's come back. Now, I'm just going to throw this out, though. There are probably five people in the world who care that Ben Riley is back. <laughs> I'm even one of them. I'll be honest with you. I like a bit of Ben Riley. So, yeah, but at the end of the day, who are you making that comic appeal to then? People who were around for the Clone Saga in the 90s. <laughs> That's before you were born. That was one in the 90s. That's like... And you see, right? It could be worse. They could have brought Kane back. Oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> no. Hold that thought. No. J.M. is no. writing another flashback series, Ben Riley Spider-Man. Yes. To yeah. tie in with the Lost Years that he did last time. Sadly, right. John Romita Jr. is not drawing it. Okay. But I'm willing to bet Kane will be in that series. Because when you read the Clone Saga, if there was one character that James DeMatteis loved, it was Kane. Who was yet another clone of Peter. This was brilliant the other night, right? I explained all this to Dana. Yes. I explained yeah, on the, the shit nature of the Clone Saga. On the, on the way to No Way Home, it's like, oh, I kind of hope that it ends with like, oh, I'm Ben Riley. Who's Ben Riley? And so we mansplained. Yeah. Of course. So despite walking to the cinema, I got my legs wide open so my cock could hang out. So you could spread out across the tube. Let me tell you who Ben Riley is. That's like no time to die, isn't it? His name was Bond. James Bond. I'm sat there going, this was the end of Burn Notice! Because it was. So I explained the... the, And it's not mansplaining if she asks you to explain it to her. So I I explained... (laughs) As long as you're self-aware. Yeah, we have people writing in to complain even as we speak. <laughs> Pounding at their Twitter. Um, so we, we, we did explain the Clone Saga and the batshit nature of it and how much we love it for that 90s batshit craziness. Yeah. But ultimately, I can't help but think, if you're writing a comic in 2021, soon to be 2022, lovely listener, in case you didn't know how chronology worked, <laughs> that goes back to... Comics that were published in 1995-ish, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I mean, I thought Nick Spencer on doing a story that was 17 years old was dumb. (laughs) But making your entire hook, Ben Riley's back. I cannot but think you should be appealing to an audience of people at this point now who have no clue who Ben Riley is. Well, they certainly will. Yeah, well... Maybe they'll bring back Spider-Girl next. I hope so. And they'll <laughs> undo that Dan Slott killed Peter Parker. 
from did the Spider Girl. Yeah, he killed her off in one of his interminable crossovers. Okay. I forget which one. He did that many of them. Yeah. And it's not like Superior Spider Man wasn't good. It was. I quite enjoyed that. Mm. But there's a there's a feeling now, right? And I hate saying this aloud. Okay. That Spider Man is now like Superman was for DC for twenty years. They don't really know what to do with him, <laughs> and the movies are doing it better. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Uh, he should read... have stayed married. Yeah. At this point, I agree. <laughs> uh, I've read the Alien comic, the new Marvel Alien comic. Now that Marvel have got the rights to Alien, has that gotten any better? Actually, yeah. Okay. I quite enjoy it now. LaRocca's art still looks dead. Yes, but the actual stories are okay. Okay. Um, you know he's got the job because it's photo reference. Yeah. That's all it is. And it's not good at all. And he, you notice that specifically when they bring back Lance Henriksen's character. Right. And you're just like, <laughs> Do you know, more and more I'm looking back and going, you know, Carman Infantino's hugely stylized 70s artwork for Star Wars? Yeah. Better than this. <laughs> but that's just my thinking. Anyway, I can't remember anything else new. That we're reading. Oh, if I, I go in the new stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, looking. I, every time I see the solicitations, I'm just like, no, I really don't care. Yeah, I think my solicitations that come out this year were for um, Amazing Spider-Man, Alien, and Batman, Catwoman. Oh no, the Joker. Oh, James Tinian's the Joker. Yeah. Nobody more surprised than me <laughs> that that's good. Do you know why it's good? It's a Commissioner Gordon series. Okay. It's a story about Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. And the Joker just happens to be the protagonist, the antagonist. It's not a Joker story. Yeah. And it's another well-worn path of Commissioner Gordon is no longer Commissioner Gordon. Right. He's been removed or he's retired again. Yeah. Don't know how many times one man can retire, but whatever. <laughs> and he's been hired by these people mm-hmm. to murder the Joker. Right. Because Batman won't do it. Okay. And he has enough reasons to murder the Joker now that he's not a policeman. Right. And the entire story is is Genesis of the Daleks. Okay. Have I the right crisis of conscience. Yeah, do thing, I have yeah. the right to murder him? Well, he's took Sir Essen away from me and he crippled Barbara Gordon and he's killed my son. Yeah. So if any of them who have... Oh, wait. James Gordon's son's dead now. I think James Gordon's son's dead. Scott Snyder of the Joker. brought him back. Did he resurrect? I'm oh, forgetting the chronology. Okay. It's very confusing. Oh, wait, there is no chronology anymore. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, okay. So, because I said this before as well, James Tinian's origin of the first meeting of Batman and the Joker doesn't match any other Batman and the Joker origin you've ever read. No, but now it doesn't matter because Scott matter. Snyder said, they're all just stories anyway. Yeah, so so Gordon has a reason to see him dead and he's like, "Do I? should I go through with it? Yeah. And there's that crisis of conscience thing all the way through. It makes it a more interesting story that it's Commissioner Gordon basically being a detective following the trail of the Joker. Okay. So it's not a Joker story. And his run on Batman has been good as well. Yeah. With Joker War and all that stuff. Although there's a little bit too much emphasis on the Joker. <laughs> it's because he's not his own, his own book. That's true. <laughs> that's a good point. So if that's it for new stuff, should we cover our last shit? Because they're both art books. They are. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? That don't matter. Yeah, you go first. Okay. So, my last one uh, from Dana is the Godzilla. There's a theme here. There is. Art of uh, Yuji Kaida. Now, Yuji Kaida is quite big in the Godzilla community. He's, he's done a lot of um, like paintings for magazines, posters, that kind of stuff. Um, so, it's just a nice little collection. Hardback, paperback. Yeah. You know I know what, what you mean. mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a paperback, but it's very thick paperback. Yeah. So, it's got an introduction from him. Uh, and then it's kind of got them separated up into chapters. So well, you've got to keep one. them separated. Yeah. So that's Godzilla in London. Yay! Which he did especially for this release. That's cool. And then it collects all of his paintings of Godzilla. Oh, very nice. And then, so 
ranging throughout. And then you've got all of these paintings of Godzilla versus other monsters. That's quite cool. Isn't There's it? A, a nice little crossover with Evangelion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Once again, audio medium. Yeah. Well, I like that we went quiet for a minute, though, while we were studying the art. And then I remembered to shit, I've got to talk. And then you've got all these other monsters here. Yeah. And then you've got some sketches of stuff. And then, once we get to it... Some oh, nice the black and white down. stuff's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, little thing. Was that Mechagodzilla? It was. Yeah, excellent. And then at one point, there is... I might have gone past it. Riveting. Yeah, he's done <laughs> sketches, pencil yeah. sketches, of all the different versions of Godzilla. So and then it says what they are. And these are all really, really, really good. Yeah, they're brilliant. And you can see the transition through the Showa era, how yeah. he gets cuter and cuter. Yeah. And then... And then becomes a monster again. And then... So this one from Godzilla 2003, Godzilla Tokyo SOS, yeah. is actually that one next to it. And that one, as Godzilla 2001, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, all that attack... It's actually that one. Oh, they made an error. Yeah, oh. I, I noticed these things. Right, well, have I'll you wrote be, to them? I, I will be doing that very thing. <laughs> have you tweeted them angrily? I will. That they made that one mistake in this otherwise excellent book. Now you got my Godzilla on. Oh, I think you're all fine. Actually. Well, actually. Uh, yeah. Then it has an interview with him at the cool. end. Uh, but also what's really quite cool, and not a lot of art books do this, which is a shame. There's a bit at the back that shows all of the different artworks yeah. and tells you what it's called when he did it and what it's for as well as him d talking about how he did it and how he composed it which i think is really interesting it is to give you a bit of an in instead of just like oh it's a pretty little art book like yeah. here's how he did it here's why he did it and here's where it came from yeah uh, which is pretty neat it is very good mm -hmm. and my last one was off of you it was and it is also an art book mm -hmm. it is the phantom city creative collection of batman the animated series and the phantom city creative is apparently, if I turn a couple of pages, uh, an artist named Justin Erickson. Yes, so this is all the stuff they did for Mondo. Yes, so people have decided that movie posters nowadays are utter crap, and they're not wrong. Mm -hmm. And Mondo essentially do movie posters that harken back to the old days, when the old days, when movie posters were actually cool. There's yeah. a good documentary about them. It's called, uh, it's called The Dimensions of the Poster. Right, okay. So 180 by 24, whatever the size of the posters are, that's what it's called. Yeah. And there's a brilliant bit in that where they show the anatomy of a modern movie poster. Okay. And it's right, well, this actor has this contract, so he needs to be this big on the poster. Right. And then this actor needs to be this big. And there was one, I can't remember which one it was, I think it was Tom Cruise movies or something. Okay. Or something like that. And it was three different movies, and it was basically Tom Cruise in exactly the same pose mm. for those three different movies. I wonder if I've always been really good because they work very closely with comic artists and mm -hmm. illustrators to do prints and toys and vinyls yeah. and all sorts. Well, some of this is for the vinyl release of the soundtrack to Batman the Animated Series. So uh, it's all fantastic. A, the, uh, it's primarily for the Animated Series. And he's done Mondo-style posters for select episodes of the Animated Series. Again, we can't really tell you, show you, because audio, but the beautiful Batman one that is inspired by the... The opening credits. Mm -hmm. The idea behind that, he says, is that's what Batman was doing just before the opening credits start. Yeah. Which is awesome. That's the bat signal chart. The red, the use of red and black mm. is absolutely beautiful. It's really nice in this one as well that they have full page yeah. prints of the posters and then the next page is 
explaining his thought process and his sketches. They're all great. I have a particular fondness for Heart of Ice. They show the variants as well. Mondo yeah. do the same poster twice with a different colour scheme and yeah. this collects both of them and as well. And it shows both of them. But they're all good. Pretty Poison is exceptional, which is Harley. No, it's Harley. It's um, Poison Ivy, isn't it? And it's, it's basically selected episodes of the animated series. Two Faces is great because they have one red one and one blue one. Yep. And Two Faces is my favourite episode of the show. Uh, even episodes like I've got Batman in my basement, which he says is no one's favourite, <laughs> but it led itself to a really cool poster. Mm. And that's ultimately where the decision to do which episodes came from. It isn't always the best episodes, although Beware the Grey Ghost. Yeah, which is, is done as an old poster. It's done as an old movie poster, which is absolutely fantastic. I Am the Night. Almost God Him's a brilliant one. Again, like Michael says, the different colour schemes. Christmas with the Joker. I want that framed. <laughs> I love that. I love that it's a, a piss take of um, the White Christmas movie poster. Yeah. But the Joker replaces... Is it Bing Crosby? Yeah. White Christmas? I don't know. It doesn't matter. And all of them. Uh, Harley Quinn, Harley and Ivy is a brilliant one. I love that they're being chased by the Joker and Batman. Mm -hmm. If if you can, if you have the, uh, the wherewithal, I would heartily recommend you go and pick this up. The Demon's Quest is very much a 40s adventure serial. Yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. I this, love this it. This was relatively pretty well priced as well yeah. I, I wanted this for myself <laughs> i went a little over budget for it but like not considerably but like it's a lot cheaper than i expected something like this to be mm. so it's a really nice collection for what it is yeah it's a lovely <laughs> little art book i love how he's repurposed some of them for the single releases yeah i didn't even know they did single releases of batman the animated series music but that's Fan Dabby Dozer. I wonder, does it have the toy designs in it? No, it doesn't have oh, the okay. toy designs in it. It's just all about the, the Mondo releases. Well, Mondo have done release the toys. Yeah, I mean the posters. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that's Batman the Animated Series, the Phantom City Creative Collection. Has a forward by Paul Dini. This was a nice surprise because I didn't ask for this. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know it existed, did I? I don't know. Um... Like I said, I was just looking through things to get you. Had no idea. And I thought, oh, I want that. Yeah. I'll get that. I'll get that for him. Because <laughs> it's brilliant. Love it. So if you like Batman the Animated Series, and if you listen to this show, you must do. You must like Batman the Animated Series. I heartily recommend you go and pick up a copy of that because it's, it's brilliant. Don't just look them on the internet. Support the artists. Mm -hmm. And they're always at conventions. They're at, I've, I've picked up a couple of their stuff from Thought Bubble before. Right. Okay. Well, I didn't get to go to Thought Bubble this year. We did not go. We did not go, because you were working. Yeah. And I completely forgot that the Lakes happened. Yeah. I literally was going to go to the Lakes Comics Festival, and I remembered it the weekend after. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, Of course. <laughs> yeah. Guess I'm not going to that then. And that's it. That's it for the annual Hey Kids Comics Christmas special. Every year, the dog still hasn't figured out how a door works. There you go, dude. Of course he has. He scratches and you open Everyone it. who listens to the Palace of Glitter and Delights knows that when the dog starts, it's time to quit. <laughs> that's true. Is that a thing? Uh, that's a thing. So we'll call it a day. That we've given you two hours, 15 minutes of free entertainment, dude. What more do you want? Quality entertainment. Yeah, it's a bank holiday. We could be doing other things. Like, not chatting shit. <laughs> like, oh, oh, chatting shit. No, no, no. Not being recorded. We do that anyway. <laughs> so it is what it is. So who'd win in a fight? Save it for the show. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll call it a day there. Have a good Christmas. If I mean, it's after Christmas, so I hope you had a good Christmas. Happy New Year. Let's hope, hope it's, it's better than one. this one. And uh, we'll probably be back this time next year, unless we manage to get our ducks in a row and do something else. <laughs> 
Because we, we had planned to do all of the death return of Superman. Yes. And we kind of talked about it on Christmas Eve, and we don't really got time now. <laughs> Not funeral for a friend, no. Yeah. Yes, well. All right, let's take care, everybody. And Good. we'll see you again real soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. You have been listening to... Hey, kids, comics.